0: Life after Beth. You should have said that sexier. I did my best, Caroline. I'm sorry. That's all I get. So white, so white. So <laughs> my name is Tom Chick, and to discuss life after Beth with you, maybe you haven't seen it. Don't go away just yet. You probably haven't seen it. It's very limited release. Don't run off yet. We're not going to spoil it. We have some other info to talk about as well. But first of all, my name is Tom Chick, and I am here uh, with Christian Molaski.
1: Uh, actually, I'd like to go back to you guys calling me Mr. Slocum,
0: <laughs> and with a life after Beth tagline. Kind of doesn't need one though.
2: Uh, Kelly Wand. Uh, death ends a life, not a relationship. <laughs> okay. Also, uh, definitely okay. still interested. <laughs> uh, <the> more interested <laughs> as the movie goes on.
3: <laughs>
2: Kelly Wand, we also
0: uh, we've been doing a new feature every week.
2: Yeah. Uh, I can't tell if this feature is taking off or not. Like, I like it, and I don't really care if other people like it. I mean, tell That's the a, folks, what, the, what is this feature? It's an IMDb plot synopsis.
0: It's a new one every week. Um, do you, I forget, do you tell us the
2: movie in advance? Okay, This time so I'm not going to, and I want you to try and guess the movie. Okay, good. I
0: like that. So, Kelly Wan, what is this week's IMDb plot synopsis? Give us this, the little uh, plot synopsis, and we'll try to guess the movie.
2: Okay, and your hint is... It's in the top 5,000, <laughs> as always, we can't tell if that's impressive or if there's only like 4,000 movies. Because
0: Red Sonia was in the top 5,000,
2: right? Yeah, I think, right. So that's, that's another hint. Like, it's kind of like that. Right. Okay. Uh, Nelson is a man devoted to his advertising career in San Francisco. That could, that's only like a couple movies. One day while taking a driving test at the DMV, he meets Sarah. She is very different from the other women in his life. Okay. Nelson causes her to miss out on taking the test, and later that day she tracks him down. One thing leads to another, and Nelson ends up living with her through a November that will change his life forever. Is
0: this that thing with Queen Latifah and Jimmy Fallon?
2: Oh my God! What see, it's sweet November. Yes, Dingus. <laughs> Wait, Dingus got it? And yeah, it's,
1: it gave it away at the end. I've it's, never even heard of Sweet November. What the heck is that? It's, uh, is it, oh God, is it Richard Gere or is it? No, uh, Sh- it's Keanu. Keanu Reeves Just and, Elise. um, and who? Charlize Theron. Charlize Theron,
2: yeah.
0: Keanu Reeves and Charlize Theron were paired in a romantic comedy?
2: Yeah. Yeah, well, it's a bittersweet because she has the, she has a gay neighbor, which is a, a source of great. No, wait. That's not the source.
1: She's dying. What's the contraction for that? She keeps dying,
2: <laughs> and then um, every month she breaks up. She meets a new dude and breaks up with them, and then cross. It's like every month's November, and so Keanu's like the one who breaks that cycle, I think either by being the last one or lasting longer than a month. I forget, but I remember at the end she blindfolds him and walks off. <laughs>
3: I think we've
0: all
1: wanted to do that. (laughs) It happens at the end of nine and a half weeks. That's the metaphor for death, (laughs) I think, in that movie. Uh,
0: I saw, and I I guess I'm okay telling you. We we were sort of trying to figure out what movie we would see next next week. And I want you guys to know, you can thank me here and now for taking the hit for both of you for seeing a two hour and forty five minute movie that I imagine everyone you talk to tells you is awesome and that you should see it. (sighs) Kelly, Kelly one, do you know what I'm talking
2: about? Everyone I talk to, like nerds at work, nope, or everyone, and, everyone, everyone, everyone who goes
0: to movies. This is, this is actually at a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. When I was looking what? at Life After Back. 45 minutes. It's a two-hour, forty-five minutes movie currently out a hundred percent on, on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Do you know Kelly Wand, Have you not been told to see this?
2: Uh, is it a uh, is it a big movie? Nope. It can't be expendables. No one's going to tell me to see that.
0: Nope it's uh, it's boyhood, the Richard Linklater thing that he shot over the course of twelve uh, years, uh, starting yeah. with a little five year old boy, and then uh, you know, as he grew up to a seventeen year old, he would periodically revisit the town in Texas where he lived. He would bring in tow with him some actual actors, and they would do scenes. So this is a movie, and it's a fascinating experiment uh, where you watch you know this boy grow into a man, and as as any parent can tell you, that's but that's a very compelling experience. Um, so that part of the movie is cool. The problem with Boyhood, for me at least, uh, and, and I, I think that's why it's like being so warmly received. It's because it really is. I mean, it really is magical just watching this kid grow up. And I'm enjoying that vicariously through. It's one of my favorite things about Dingus being my friend is I'm enjoying that in real life with his own son. So I can see why someone will respond to that on a movie screen. Um, what about me, Coach? Uh, Kelly White, I enjoy seeing you grow up as well. When I have kids. <laughs> um, but the problem with, uh, with boyhood um, is that y- there's no way you could know this when you're starting a movie with a five-year-old boy. But what happens in boyhood, and I, I hope, I'm not spoiling this because it's not anything material to the plot, or, and there's really no plot. But uh, the problem with boyhood is that the actor playing the boy grows up to be a bit of a dud.
3: <laughs> and I feel I, I
0: feel bad saying that. It's that kind of thing, Kelly Wand. I mean, he's a really good-looking guy, and he could totally be a model, but the fellow has zero charisma, and he, he mumbles. He's not very expressive, and boy, he loves looking down at his shoes instead of letting the camera see his face. Um, but, but it, and so in a lot of the family scenes, this is okay because Ethan Hawke and Patricia Arquette, who, by the way, are both tremendous in this, uh, they can carry him. But, you know, the scenes with just him and his friends are, are just awful. And I I don't know why people are. I, I mean, I guess it's because of the nature of the experiment that people are responding so warmly to it. Um, so I, I was not into boyhood, I'm afraid. Also, super long. I mean, two hours and 45 minutes. It feels like two hours and 45 minutes. And that's not. i got
2: to justify that gimmick, though. So you got to see the whole life.
0: I really do feel there's just a lot of filler. I, it almost made me wonder if Linkletter was shooting this to propose it as a TV series. Um, because this could easily be a 90-minute movie to compress the experience. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there that I was wondering, why is he including this footage? Um, And the the, the odd thing about it, though, so Patricia Arquette and uh, Ethan Hawker are are both great to watch. Uh, He has a little sister, uh, actually an older sister, um, and the the little girl playing his sister, she is fantastic. I mean, the the entire time I was watching the movie, I was thinking – he should have made a movie called Girlhood because she is more lively, she's dynamic, uh, she's just got this huge smile, and, and, and watching her face change, uh, it's, it, I mean, it's like with the, the same thing with the, the boy, um, but she grows up to be a really interesting kid, and I wanted to know more about her, and it turns out the actress playing the girl, her name is Laura Lee Linkletter. She's oh. the director's daughter. It's like, oh, no. So you know he's got someone in there who is familiar with the business, who knows how to act, who knows presumably how to behave around a camera and other actors, who is expressive. And, but for whatever reason, he, he banked on this this other poor kid. Um,
2: Maybe he's just trying to keep her from dating him in real life, and this is this complicated way. See,
0: now, if you'd seen the movie Kelly Wand, you would think that was gross and weird.
2: Oh, really? <laughs> Uh, she looks. Well, by the way, she, I would. <laughs> you should. She's a dead ringer
0: for uh, for Katie Holmes. Uh,
2: oh, then there's... I really wouldn't think it's that weird. <laughs> uh,
0: and also, in Dingus, I bet this is one thing that would be a problem for you. Um, in Boyhood, I, I I absolutely disapprove of how neutral the movie is about certain life choices that characters make. Um, and the movie is strictly observational, and they're going for a very naturalistic approach, and that's fair enough. But throughout the movie, Patricia Arquette is a real dummy for subjecting her children to these abusive asshole step-parents. And Ethan Hawke, you know, is a charming fella. And I love Ethan Hawke's like the, the way his eyes crinkle when he smiles. Like I love watching Ethan Hawke hats. And I love him in Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. I even love him in like crappy action movies where he drives around with Selena Gomez in that car, uh, whatever that was called. Getaway. Uh, but but in the, in this movie, in Boyhood… As, as this mostly absentee dad, his character is, is, is reprehensible for this cavalier attitude he has about parenting. And I, maybe because I wasn't into the movie so much in the first place, I just really objected to some of the things these characters were doing. Um, and if the movie, by the way, had intentionally been about how this outgoing, remarkable five-year-old boy was, was subjected to bad parenting and became a mumbling teenager, then I could have seen a point. And I might have been more uh, into what was happening as far as the actor who plays the boy progressing. But ultimately, what I think Richard Linklater wanted to do is make a movie about how a series of bad choices made throughout life by the kid, by his parents, by everyone, can still make for this supposedly heartwarming story. Um, and for me, I just – I I wasn't buying it. Uh, it, it ends with him – and I, I apologize that this is kind of a spoiler. Again, it's not a narrative movie. Uh, Just to kind of let you know, after all the stuff this kid goes through, it ends with him going to college and skipping his college orientation to go do mushrooms in the wilderness with some people he doesn't even know. And it paints this decision as if it was the sum total of, of his attained life wisdom. And I was just like, no, that's a terrible thing for uh, orientation's dumb, dude. They just show you around the campus. I guess know? so, but I just, I got the sense that you know he's in for just a lot more bad life decisions
2: after this. Well, that's what Place Beyond the Pines, I think, kind of ended like. But some well, people thought, oh, it's a happy ending. He drives off on motorcycle.
0: You know what, Kelly Wand? The movie that I think does that better is a movie called The Kids Are Alright, and it's called that for a reason, by the way. And it yeah. does end with the kids going off to college and being left on their own. And throughout the movie, the people who are their parents have made questionable life decisions, and the point of that movie is that the kids are going to be all right. And so they
2: go to orientation at the end and don't do it.
0: They go to orientation. They don't go do mushrooms in the wilderness. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> when I was,
1: think uh, about the end of an Enough Said and how those parents – Yes, is, yeah.
2: That, I mean, I, exactly,
0: yeah. Uh, Were well, they
1: Native Americans? In
0: um, in um The
1: Mushrooms.
2: Boyhood?
0: No, no, no! They were Texans. <laughs> we
1: were the, uh, the opposite, opposite of, <laughs> It's so weird for you, for me to hear you describing this movie because I I, I just I, I have no I have just a shadowy kind of understanding of what it might be. I thought it was more like we're gonna we're gonna parachute into this real kid's life, film him for a few scenes. We're gonna throw some real actors in there with him and do some scenes. I didn't realize. So when you say the actor they got to play the kid, mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was it was this. Experiment using this same actor over that period yeah. of time, and uh, and then it, the the sister is. I mean, that's it's really weird to hear that. I don't understand how that's supposed to work. I mean, it's like you, you, I like you know. The sh- kid. Yeah. Do you remember seeing the documentary Spellbound? I think it is.
0: You know what? I was going to mention that, but it's kind of a spoiler. But go ahead and uh, yeah, go ahead, Angus.
1: Yeah. No, it's just it's just that idea of. A filmmaker choosing what's my subject going to be, and I hope right. it
0: works. Yep, and Spellbound is a great example of the, they took a gamble, and boy, did it pay off. I mean, yeah. that's so much of the tension of watching that. And Spellbound is, you know, it's a lightning in a bottle exercise in, in documentary filmmaking. Uh, yeah,
2: um, well, sometimes you get lucky.
0: Sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes you get boyhood, and you know what? I don't mean to. I don't, I don't want to cast a at boyhood because I can totally understand how some people would respond to it. And, and seriously, the whole you know the, the three hours I was in the theater, two hours and forty five minutes, it it really is kind of magical watching this little kid grow up and watching you know what kind of person he becomes. And and because it's not just an actor, because it's not makeup or some CG or some stupid thing like that, because it really is a five year old growing up to be a seventeen year old man. Basically, wow. um, that's that's undeniably compelling. So I, I don't begrudge anyone for approving of this movie, but as someone who really thinks, who really does pay attention to actors, and that can make or break a movie for me, it didn't work. Dingus, here's what, uh, here's what it is. You remember in Bubble, how the kid playing the, the boy in Bubble, uh, he didn't have to carry the movie. He was also not very expressive, he mumbled, uh, he's a good looking kid, but not the, not the main character in Bubble. Imagine that if Steven Soderbergh had made the tactical error of making Bubble almost entirely about him. Oh. Um, and it's that kind of thing. Like his his sort of awkwardness and the way he's kind of a wallflower, that totally works in the story that Soderbergh is telling in Bubble. Uh, but if you just made a three-hour movie about that kid in Bubble, that's kind of what you would get with uh, with adulthood.
1: Uh, uh, oh. oh, good Lord. Yeah. Uh, well, the thing that does interest me is, is – and I didn't think about it until you started describing it – is um, – I had this award that, you know, when we do our, uh, end of the year top ten lists, we make up our own awards. And one of my awards was this weird sort of triptych award I tried to, to do with you guys about how, how it would be to have, uh, the way the Before Sunrise movies worked over that, that, that many years. And, and watching Ethan Hawke develop as an actor and as a person and watching Julie Delpy develop as an actor and a person and wondering what their relationship was like over the course of that time. So what interests me is that he particularly is in this movie and I'm fascinated by his development as a person and as an actor because of those before sunrise movies and that, and then I could get to see him like filmed over that same period of time, yeah. playing a different character, which I think is fascinating. I mean, you can you can chart any actor's career in that same way, but watching them play the same character right. over decades or many many years is kind of interesting to me, especially because Ethan Hawke is so interesting to me.
0: Yeah. And where where is Patricia Arquette doing these days? What are why are,
1: what, this movie for twenty I mean, years?
2: Besides <laughs> this, like what?
0: Because she's really good in this. Like, why aren't we seeing her in other stuff? Or are we seeing her in other stuff that I'm just not going to? I, I don't know. I'm, okay,
2: there's a million reasons. Does she
0: have a TV series or something? She should be working, is all I'm saying. Sometimes they don't like to work. Sometimes, Sometimes they don't take it. a
2: year off. Go fuck it. Well,
0: Where? it's
1: not just that. Sometimes they make choices to raise a family and they take time right. off acting to do that. Or they don't get the parts
2: they want. They don't like the scripts. Yeah, so. that's true too. Yeah. Or their last thing embittered them but it sounds to me like this movie might have been better as a documentary and you just like hope that his life's interesting or you just correct course and change the script as time goes on and you go well my daughter's (laughs) kind (laughs) of blazer did that like both uh birth and under the skin were both about they both had male characters and then at the last second he's all no it's about the chick (laughs) And then both times are pretty interesting. Okay, so,
0: so my I'm message. Like, oh, I wrote this. Richard Linklater would be a little bit more flexible as you're shooting. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> uh, all right, Dingus, what else did we see this week?
1: Well, this week we saw Life After Beth. Huh. A 2014 American comedy romance uh, horror movie um, about a girl who comes back. It was written and directed by Jeff Baina, and it stars Aubrey Plaza, Jane Hahn, yeah, John C. Riley, and then Anna Kendrick shows up. Oh my God! Life After Beth is rated R. Wait for pervasive okay. language, <laughs> some horror violence, sexual content, nudity, and brief drug use. What? Uh, what? That? Come on. That's drugs. <laughs> Those Contest are drugs. They're, they're still drugs, even if they're illegal in Colorado. <sighs> uh, How do, do Colorado, it? though? This story. <laughs>
2: what if it is? Doesn't that change? Still drugs? Yeah.
0: The is they don't change their ratings by state, Kelly Wong. They know what they're doing. Trust
1: they're them. federal. Oh, wait. What are they? They're global and universal.
0: Uh, Life After Beth on Rotten Tomatoes, which is the percentage of reviews that are positive, is at 43%. Hmm. Metacritic, which measures the rating awesome. from various reviews, puts Life After Beth on a scale of 1 to 100 at
2: 54. Wow. That's, That's pretty far... low for – Oh, yes, Kelly, one it's pretty low for what? Well, just like if you usually get the art house bump if you're – like a tiny hmm. movie. I Speaking of art hot. houses, this movie is in two theaters,
0: so it made like something like 20000 It didn't even make $20,000, so let's not talk about that box office because that doesn't count. Super limited release. The Expendables 3 opened in number four.
1: Oh, no! <laughs>
0: See? <laughs> it, oh, got no. Beat. it got beat by Let's Be Cops.
1: <laughs> was so that going to be able to pay everybody's salaries? Oh, uh, uh, God. Well,
0: I, know. Yeah, I guess maybe they took it in the back end. I don't know.
2: Oh! Do they have accent <laughs> figures? Expendables so yeah. So
0: it made a paltry $16 million. The, the 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 box office on its opening weekend went, number one was Ninja Turtles, number two, Guardians of the Galaxy, then number three, Let's Be Cops.
1: Point Bruce Willis, who was like, nah. Well. I have to think of the, just the, the picture of Expendables 3, of the poster with like 17 dudes standing it's PG-13 though
2: no, I don't, I don't want to see all those dudes just walk around they have to at least kill people
0: Well, uh, Box Office Mojo did in their coverage of this they speculated that uh, some of the, the elements for why it failed so badly uh, first were franchise fatigue of course maybe people don't want to well, see yeah. these old guys anymore but they did point out that maybe that drop from an R rating to a PG-13 well, might have alienated some people who might have otherwise
2: gone Well, in the trailer, I don't know if you watched it, I'm sure you probably do not want this one spoiled, but they don't kill anyone in the trailer. They just, like, walk around and grin, like Bob Hope or something. (laughs) What? They're not shooting guns. They're all just like, hey... So, like, like, Harris Ford's flying a helicopter and Kellen Lutz coming out of the water. <laughs> Damn it, Tom. Stop making me think of Kellen Lutz coming out of water. Uh, in other news this
0: week, by the way, it looks like, uh, I mean, I don't know how the rest of the year will shake out, but it looks like Guardians of the Galaxy is going to be the biggest uh, grossing movie uh, in the U.S. this year. okay uh, Yay! It, it's going. Yeah, uh, it's got. It's still got a few more movies to beat, but it's not having. You know, it's holding st- relatively strong. Uh, it has to pass Maleficent, Transformers, um, and and the, the Lego Movie. Uh, I wish oh, oh, the Oh, skin. Captain America: Winter Soldier. That's the big winner this year. So, but it looks like it's probably going to pass all all four of those.
2: What if Under the Skin was the number one movie, and just like it made the entire industry go, "Wait,
0: what? Huh? Can I wonder. It probably is like in Iceland or something.
1: I know. Yeah. I should move there. Or in Excuse Scotland, me. maybe.
0: Gap, yeah. could you tell me a little bit about Life After Beth and maybe some of the things that happen in it?
2: Now that we're done talking about random box offices, of available <laughs> <levels> three. <laughs> is that what you mean? Yes, Wand. That's well, what I mean. What would you call such a thing, Kelly Wand? Any theories? A life after Bethopsis. Ugh, you don't really try. <laughs> You're not a game. Not I, don't a- I
0: don't understand the art of naming the synapses, Kelly Wand. It's a mystery well, I-
2: You'll see the patterns, and Dingus always exasperatedly sighs and, like, nails. What do you nose. think Dingus thinks it is? Dingus, what do you think you think it is?
1: Uh, I would hope it's life after Bopsis.
2: It was that or Epsis. I eventually decided Epsis. All right. Uh, um, oh, but something crazy happened. uh... Is this I part of the synopsis? Or are you starting the synopsis? It's context, but you'll like it. Okay. Uh, I couldn't think of anything to write, so instead I invented time travel, and I traveled to the future, and I got the IMDb synopsis of Life After Bepsis.
0: Hey, I don't know if you know this, but Life After Beth is on IMDb.
2: Uh-oh. Well, I guess I went to an alternate universe where this is it said.
3: Uh, right.
2: You read. I think I did see that. You're right. Look, forget about that, Tom.
3: Okay,
2: <laughs> stop, <laughs> when stop ruining my important time travel copy. <laughs> minute, people wouldn't have understood it. I could have just said, "This is life after Beth," if as if it was an IMDb synopsis. But I had to. I wanted to bring in time travel to, like, you know, because our audience really likes that stuff. Like, time travel
0: makes everything better. I know.
2: I so they're going to go. away. it's not the same. This is if was, as if it was an IMD synopsis from the future. No. Do you understand uh, this? You uh,
0: yeah, is yeah. like an X Men thing? Yeah. Okay. Kelly, do do we need to get a scientist in here?
2: I would hope not. <laughs> the movie didn't bother with that. Well, well, I am a scientist. That's my real answer. Okay,
0: so in that case, you're qualified for
2: yeah. So that's my benefit. The- t- how do you? I can just invent time travel without knowing science. I don't know. What country you're from. Life after Bepsis, as if it was an IMDb synopsis. Tom, you're you know, like drive it like, like I stole oh, it. Oh, Kelly Wand, I want you to drive it like you stole it. You don't want to zombify that a little? Kelly Wand, I want you to shoot it in the head like it rose from the grave. <laughs> Life after Bepsis, as if it was an IMDb synopsis. A lanky blonde youth... Devoted to guitar playing, grieves for his non-British love interest at her funeral reception, where a Haitian caterer soon departs. (laughs) It's hard to write like this. (laughs) A pity that's not the whole thing. Dramatic events occur... When the interest returns from the cemetery, after he looks at albums with a woman who was Beth's mother, parentheses, Night at the Roxbury's Molly Shannon, <laughs> in a tour departure.
1: <laughs> when the interest returns.
2: <laughs> and while her father, one of the stepbrothers from Stepbrothers, is also present. <laughs> I'm DB. They're explaining what happens in the movie. Things take another turn with Tess. (laughs) After seeing what he thinks is Audrey Platz's Beth through the pane of the window of her parents' house he's outside of, (laughs) DeHaan confronts them and shows them her snakebite leg, which they all but her see. <laughs> IMDB Do you guys understand that aspect? Absolutely. I hope it's be I hope it's clearer. After one scene leads to another <laughs> I hope someone doesn't sue me. I'm like that's my writing style. Beth, because she is a zombie <laughs> Likes puts dirt in the attics. (laughs) DeHaan's mom and his other parent, comma, and also his brother all do not believe him, comma, so he goes into his room. His dad is the one from Aliens, but he's learned his lesson and survived the Aliens. DeHaan's brother is acted by James Carey in his first dramatic turn since Kick-Ass 2, parentheses 2013. (laughs) The dad makes DeHaan promise Nort to tell Beth she's still alive, but he promises not to. The mailman surprises him. After a surprising British girl has lunch with Dahan, he sees the cook upset, but the food remains the same price. But in the parking lot, best snake bite infection begins to spread. Events unfold. I I wrote the pitch. Now, after she is run over at the beach de that's that whole paragraph in a twist Beth burns down the fire station with her elbow the rest of the city is also upset and dirtier in a clever wink to the audience parentheses us Returning to the attic by car practically grows familiar with Beth and her evil intentions, which he still doesn't know. The brother changes his mind when he sees the sink on her back not fit the door. (laughs) Satire meets horror when one of the dads tells DeHaan his maid smelled something, so DeHaan goes to her hotel room to help get Beth back to death. But instead, a naked man with a triangle on his chest asks him where the car wash is. Someone gets a gun, so DeHaan takes Beth on a hike and her sink. He shoots the sink, and she falls over some leaves from the thirty-eight Magnum bullet's impact. <laughs> this is occipital. <laughs> Who says coroners can't write? The newscaster calls this back to normal, but a man and a wife beater is not sure. For the climax, all the families are reunited except Bess, and the characters reflect on the movie's events in the relief of being saved, featuring Gary Marshall. (laughs) The end. (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs>
0: oh, <God. laughs> oh, I, I, I'm a little sad that maybe more people haven't seen this like could you appreciate that if you haven't seen the movie I don't know
3: you just made my weekend totally <laughs>
0: <fun>. <laughs> hey, Kelly, you must have been doing a lot of research on IMDB to to, to travel that style so well well I guess so I guess uh, just look up on the on the internet nice look I'm <sighs> just
2: I know that's the internet I can't write like that well You know how I write, I write all the other ones. I can't that cool. But if it's just Gary Marshall. Huh. Wow, you guys really like that. Can you write more bad writing one?
0: <laughs> well you know, Juan, it is like actors having a hard time playing dumb.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: Really
0: good actors can play dumb. Really good writers can write poorly.
1: Yeah. I mean Girl. that's difficult. You just... Oh, man, if you're a master.
0: <laughs> All <laughs> right, so kelly one, did you have to drive up here to... Uh, you had to drive north an hour or so to see this, right? Yeah. All right. How so, was that?
2: Um, it was
0: quiet. Okay. Were you glad you made the drive?
3: Um,
2: parts of it. Okay. Parts of the drive. Cool. I didn't think Dane DeHaan... His character was very well written. I thought he was—he's not a bad actor, I guess, but he's written as a very milquetoast character, and I didn't give a shit about him. And okay. I thought it should have been more about her. But maybe under the skin's tainted. Like everything has to be about the girl now. Like you and you and Under the Skin have both tripped me separately. <laughs> <laughs> Nails are boring.
0: Uh, are, you, are you possibly the podcast's biggest Aubrey Plaza fan, or would that distinction go to
2: that- Dingus for Parks and Rec? No, no, because now I'm binge-watching Parks and Rec, and now I'm super, super into her. Okay. Because I was really just trying to study the early work of Chris Pratt. (laughs) So are you liking Parks and Rec? Yeah, it's pretty Uh, funny. I'm in season two, but it's really good. I was liking – I heard season one was, like, really bad, and then season two is where they took the wheels off that bitch, but – like, even the last half of season one was okay. But season, it's it's definitely good. Like, I am I look forward to watching the next one.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right about that.
0: Well, I know a lot of people do think that Joel, Joel McHale is funny, so that's why they watch that's it. That's
1: community. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh,
0: so, uh, uh, Dingus, do you share Kelly Wan's assessment?
1: Uh, I can't remember what it was because the uh went on for so long. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I don't know if I can share it because I really didn't care for this.
0: Uh, Kelly Wan, Dingus took his dad as like a birthday. His his dad was visiting and it was his dad's birthday. So, Dingus was like, you know what I'm going to do for my dad for his birthday? I'm going to take him to see Life After Beth.
2: The thing about taking your dad to movies is they never bullshit you whether they like the movie or not. Like your mom will kind of – well, that was nice seeing you. Yeah, I really enjoyed Prince of Persia. But like (laughs) if your dad thinks Cliffhangers boring – you're going to know about it. Like, he doesn't care whose fucking birthday it is. Well,
1: well my dad, um, my dad's a, a big movie fan. Um, uh, and he listens to some uh, some uh, episodes of this podcast, uh, really? and and he and he li- and he loves hearing my opinions on movies, and he loves talking about movies with me. He's not uh, as deep into movies as I am, as far as like trying to analyze them and write about them and all that. But he's he's kind of the reason that I love movies so much. I mean, I you know going to see movies with him when I was a kid, so going to see a movie with him is is a great pleasure. And he also knows my you know usual reluctance to talk about movies. Right after seeing them, before I write about them, um, so it's it's a weird you know it's a weird situation going with him. Uh, but th- this one, I you know we, we 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 were pretty clear on how we felt about it as we left it. Uh, it was very weird seeing this movie in a full theater and being the only two people who were laughing at anything going on in it. Um, uh, really? I, yeah, I, I I cannot figure out what they what what. This director writer thought he was doing as far as tone is concerned, um, because you know, you know we're, I'm I'm a pretty loud laugher in movies. I, I mean it's kind of annoying, but I am. Uh, but you know there's there's things in here that are funny, and I was laughing at them. But it, by by the end, dad and, dad and I are both like, what the? Fuck? And uh, and then everybody in the theater clapped. I mean it was a full theater, and they all like it was. There was this huge resounding applause. They might have worked well, on a- it's, it. Well, I don't know. I was just like I guess we just missed it. I don't know. So, but it was funny, and then we got but to talk about laugh. it all the way home. I don't usually talk about movies right afterward. but got to talk about it all the way home, so it was an enjoyable experience all the way around. Seeing, you know, going to a movie with your dad is fun, especially on his birthday. But, uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. taking him to that particular movie. I'm, I'm, I'm just all I'm, all I'm gonna say is, and then I'll shut up. Is uh, I'm glad that also during this trip I got to take him to see. With Tom and my son, uh, I got we all got to go see Guardians of the Galaxy. Remember how good that was? Let's yeah. talk about that movie. Uh, because Uh-oh. just getting to sit there with my dad, uh, my best friend, and my son, and and get just to laugh our our heads off at this weird, beautiful, just oh, unbelievable, phantasmagoric movie. Guardians of the Galaxy. Such a great experience. And then taking Death of This on his birthday was a little bit embarrassing, but it's fun to talk about it with him.
0: Dingus, don't forget, when you're rolling out the adjectives for Guardians of the Galaxy, don't forget the most commercially successful movie so far of 2014. Throw that in there as well. TM. Yeah.
2: Wait, It's a spy life after Beth, you mean, Tom? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Why am I spiting right now? This didn't work for me, for the most part. And I, See, I love well,
2: zombie I movies, and I have very particular...
0: I, it, uh, I would say eh, – not expectations because I like seeing different things done with zombie movies, but uh I I didn't I, – I completely – I want to hear more about Dingus' comment about the tone being sort of hard to pin down. But uh, kind of like Warm Bodies, I felt like this was not making good use of zombies and I didn't understand – why it was trying to be a zombie movie, or what I thought they
2: weren't zombies, and that's why he keeps saying zombies before that's clear, and you go, oh, okay, so they're not going to be zombies, they're going to be oh, and they she's a pyromaniac too, and I thought it was going to be some new
0: method. <laughs> I think the the uh what was supposed to be implied with that lifeguard station is that she knocked wiring loose, and that's why yeah. I oh uh, uh, she had superpowers like like uh, pyro or, or or drew Barry. yeah they don't like jazz
2: like that's a new.
0: Well, that's, again, that's like, why is this idea, like, it, that was the most inane, weird twist since Tim Burton had the aliens in Mars Attacks uh, get, like, killed by Slim Whitman songs. No,
2: I heard the director say it. He goes, he said he read somewhere that the most primitive form of music is that kind of jazz, and so he thought, well, since zombies are primitive, they'll like the most primitive.
0: Oh, you've done some research on this, have you, Kelly
2: Wand? Well, I listened to what he said. I, don't <laughs> I,
1: I think it was just another joke about warmth. Like the attic. I think it's just it's just they're dead. They're cold. Here's a funny joke about something that's warm.
0: So just, I didn't even get that. Now that you mentioned that, Dingus, and that's her joke about that's her comment about your hair is warm. That's yeah. why they wanted to go to attics to get warm.
1: Yeah, the attic then, is always hot. Uh, the, okay, the, so
0: here's yeah. I get now that you say that, but that's not made clear in the movie. Nobody ever touches Beth and says you're cold. Like I, I wasn't sure if she really was dead. Was her heart beating, for instance? Like if they were trying to make it clear that yeah, these are reanimated corpses. I don't think that was clear. I didn't. And again, we don't that was... see
2: her kill anybody. We don't see anybody kill anybody.
0: And she's supposed to. She supposedly eats the guy who runs past the patio door, right?
2: We don't...
1: Right. This is I the shyest
2: think... R movie I've yeah, seen yeah. in a long yeah. time. Uh, it, the it, is, it is. pretty shy. Yeah. Actually, that Aubrey Plaza was complaining about that. Like she goes, "I wish I'd eaten more people."
1: Oh, I wish she'd taken off more clothes. If we're gonna have nudity. Whoa,
2: not? whoa, whoa, dingus! Jeez. There's no room for sexuality in zombie movies. What's the matter with you? Maybe he's quoting his
1: dad. Yeah, that's true. Uh, anything I say, let me just say as a disclaimer, anything I say that's offensive, I will blame on my fault. <laughs> I can't believe you took your dad. Like the poster for this, did you see that? Like, no, I don't look at anything okay. that's going on, but.
2: but... You have a, for your dad, you go, I better at least see the poster before I take him to. Well, it's
0: a picture of Aubrey <laughs> Plaza looking kind of slightly. You know, a, yeah, so you don't want to take your dad to that?
1: No, but but he will take. Believe me, Kelly. He you know, knowing that he's going to see the the podcast movie with me, which you know is is sort of like every week I see uh, a movie, which is which is not like the rest of humanity. Uh, I go to see a movie every week, and the people in my life who know that this is an important thing in my life, they're like, "Oh, if I get to see the podcast movie with you, that'd be great." It doesn't matter if the movie's good or not. I think they kind of like doing that because yeah. they listen to the show and they're like, hey, I was there for that. I mean, I think that's kind of a thrill. No, no that's true.
0: So Dingus, what's your issue then with it being a shy R and the the tone stuff? Like, is that what you're saying? Is you wish that it had been more of a traditional gory
1: horror she movie? less clothes. He wanted more boobs. Well, I don't understand why it's an R. I don't understand what they're doing with it. You know, I, I, I can never – I mean, other than saying the F word multiple times – Um, and, and a couple, I mean, I read a whole list of things that the MPAA is going to use as justification for being an R, but it certainly doesn't go for it. Uh, and if you're not going to bother to go for it and you're, and I, you know, even when that that moment where she's about to, where he's about to shoot her in the head, and it's almost obscured behind the stove, I'm like, well, they're just not going to show us. And then they do show us for some weird reason. Well, that's an R. Uh, I
0: mean, that's Irish, isn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is Irish, and the language. There's enough here to make an R, but there's no gore. And if you're going to bother to, I don't understand what you're going for here. Like when she's feeding him, uh, when she's feeding, when um, Molly Shannon is feeding her fingers. It's just like uh, that could be like a little piece of liver, and then she's going to tape up her hand. They, they're not going for it. They're not going for this like, well, I'm I'm cooking for her, so I'm now I'm going to cut off the rest of oh, my. it's hand. her fingers. It, it's just it's. It's just I don't see. So there's don't no
0: understand. way I, I disagree with you there because there's no way you could have that scene, uh, which actually was one of the few scenes that I liked, um, because it did have this this over the top grotesque sensibility to it that I wish the rest of the movie had been had had the stomach to go for. But there's no way you could have a mother feeding her own fingers, and you do see Aubrey Plaza eating a piece of meat, even if it's not necessarily if you can't tell it's his finger. That's clearly what they're wanting to show. I mean, there's right. no way you could have that scene in a PG-13 movie. I would say.
1: Oh, I, I absolutely agree. But since you know you're going for R because of the language you're choosing, right. then then go all the way with that scene that have her sitting there at a cutting board and and being in like shock or whatever, and going, "Well, I'm I'm cutting off my hand now and sawing off her hand." I don't understand. I don't understand where this movie wants it to be. I don't understand if it's trying to go for maybe a PG-13 cut at some point because it's not gory enough. Like you just said, I guess she eats that. Dude, on the patio. I don't know.
0: I don't think also that it would have a, it would get a PG thirteen with all of the because they're clearly supposed to be teenagers yeah. with all of the teenage sexuality, yeah, like with, yeah, with all of those scenes where they're groping each other. That would that go a thirteen
1: movie? Well, I, I don't think so. But but honestly, where's even with the shooting of of them in the head or shooting mm-hmm. shooting the. You know, somebody gets shot in the chest and you barely see it. I don't, I don't understand what this director is trying to do right. as far as the rating is concerned. It's such a weird, shy R, and if you're going to bother to get an R, go for it. I don't
2: understand. Well, make a,
1: oh, go ahead, Kelly Wand. well I think he's trying to be
2: earnest, and that's unfortunate because there's actually some kind of cute jokes in here, I think. All right, yeah. What do you it's mean? Like, by trying uh, to be earnest, I don't yeah, understand. Yeah, explain, one. I think he's writing about their relationship, and it's supposed to be sad that he's like that's why I think the focus is on him because it's him letting go of her. Oh, which is a weird concept, and it's called Life After Beth. Like it's something about like it's her specific, and it's like his life after her, even though it, it winds up happening to the whole town, which to me kind of. Excuse it a little, but it's definitely not funny enough. That's the thing is, like, when it is funny, it's kind of, it's sort of in a funny in a, in a throwaway way that I kind of like, but it doesn't stay that way for long. It always goes back to, um, like what they were like and how they are now and her characterization. Well,
0: and I think to answer Dingus's question, Kelly, Wan, you have absolutely the right idea. This is, so Warm Bodies appropriated zombie mythology to tell a Romeo and Juliet story. Yeah. And it was very,
2: I don't think it was successful. With well, a happy ending.
0: I don't think it was very successful because that kind of makes no sense. It had a happy ending, but the whole idea was, hey, can't the dead and the living just get along? Like the Capulet problem, Capulets and the Montagues, the same thing. And it just wanted to use zombie mythology to do this, and it didn't do anything with the zombie mythology. I think that what this director is trying to do is use zombie mythology, uh, you know, make a story about a zombie, uh, about zombies, to 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 tell a story about the unpredictability and the frustration of of being young people who are changing dramatically, you know, as you grow up, and, and being in love. That it's this kind of emo story about, you know, the world is ending because my girlfriend, uh, I, you know, she's changed and she's no longer the person I love, so now we have to break up. Uh, it's this kind of emo teen love story. I think that's what his attempt is. Um, and that's why, it, rather than making a traditional gross-out gore zombie story, he, and, and you're right, Kelly Wan, the fact that it's more about, Dane DeHaan's character than Aubrey Plaza's character. Um, This is a guy wanting to make a story about a kid who gets his heart
3: broken. Yeah.
0: Um, And that's that's totally, and I think it's earnest. Like, I don't think there's enough winking. You know, I thought that little bit with the mother feeding the zombified daughter her fingers, if we'd had more stuff like that, this could have been kind of coolly subversive and and creepy. And, you know, there wasn't any of the traditional body dysmorphia stuff, too. Yeah, even that becomes about
2: him. Even that scene. He's like, I'll handle this like it's about, I don't
0: know. Well, I mean, I guess she got the little sunburn on her cheek, but there have been, uh, you know, there are a lot of horror movies about what it's like to be dying and decomposing. There's one called Contagion, which is on Netflix now, where a woman gets a venereal disease from Simon Barrett, who's the guy who wrote Your Next, and it's all about how her body starts falling apart. It's this kind of female take on the David Cronenberg body dysmorphia that we got in The Fly, and for whatever reason, this movie was really shy with that. You know, Mm -hmm. she gets the sunburn on the side of her face. Um, I guess she's super strong, but there's nothing about like pieces of her decomposing or falling. I guess she gets bad breath. Um,
1: well, then everybody's bad breath, and, and and even when they when they have sex, there's no sort of acknowledgement of right this is, we- this is weird gross. or this is yeah. gross or that's not what it felt like before or is this how it's supposed to feel? There's nothing like that. They're at some playground and then they do that and they move on. Which, by the way, I think it would have been a,
0: a very trenchant part of, of the kind of story he wanted to tell. Right. You know, when, when you're in a relationship with somebody and they change and even the sex gets weird, right. you know, right. why didn't he make that part of this story? I'm okay with it not being gory, but if he wanted to tell this story about what it's like to be young and changing and in love... There were plenty of opportunities that I just felt were missed or he just didn't even appreciate
1: here. Yes, clearly, if she's sort of reawakening to this like weird memento sort of, uh, I've got a new test tomorrow, I've got a new test tomorrow, everything, every every morning, I would expect some sort of a, of a weird, like almost an under the skin, I'm going to take the lamp moment where for her or what's going on down here or he's what's going on down here kind yeah. of a thing. And there's none of that. The, he doesn't take advantage of any of
0: that. I guess you're right, too, Dingus, where that's like there's more of an opportunity. Because I was going to say there's a lot of teen sexuality in this. That earns it an R. But because it's an R, you know, there's a lot of opportunity to explore some of the, the details of, of teenage sexuality and, and yeah. the changes that she's going through that, you know, we're just kind of swept under the rug. They or what
2: made it. these two characters unique for us to care about their story?
0: So, Kelly one, you mentioned that you uh, – uh, we into Aubrey Plaza, but Dane DeHaan didn't really work for you. Is that kind of what you were saying? Well, she
2: was more interesting to me. and her Seeing her, and maybe it's just because I'm watching Parks and Rec at the same time, where she's sort of muffled and she's playing a really inexpressive character. Mm-hmm. And I got the sense she was really enjoying and really engaged in playing okay. zombie. So that was kind of fun to watch, I think.
0: Dingus is our other person on this podcast who really enjoys the TV show community. Did you feel the same way?
1: Um, you know, I'm, I I don't know. I'm sort of, I'm in a weird place right this because I really like Aubrey Plaza and I really, I really am a big fan of Parks and Rec. And, and, and this is coming from someone who doesn't care for sitcom television very much. Uh, I think she's great. And this character is definitely sort of pitched toward, you know, her strike zone. I mean, she's, she's good at this weird sort of like, uh, I mean, she she kind of plays a zombie on the show in some ways emotionally, right? Uh, and I and I, and I like that. Um, I I at first as as, as I was started of talking through this movie and writing through, it, I was like, well, well, shouldn't it be from the point of view of her then? Because because Dane DeHaan is, is, you know, as much as I do like that kid. I don't know quite what to do with him here. And I was like, why, why, why can't we have this be a story about her? Why, yeah, it's just maybe... like Boyhood all over again. It's like the wrong character. But then the other part of me is, well, we saw that in Warm Bodies. I mean, Warm Bodies was basically Nicholas Holt doing that. And then he's got a sort of a feminine aspect to him in a little bit of a way. And I like the guy very much. And, and it, was, it was from his perspective. But as, as the movie begins and she's going down that jogging trail, I think, oh, it's going to be all from her point of view um I, I don't know I, but I don't know that I could she's kind of she's a little one notey, and I don't know that I would be able to hang with her for the whole movie and and unfortunately Dane DeHaan is the straight man isn't doesn't have many other colors either I don't know what quite to do with their relationship what you? I'm oh, go ahead no I was just gonna ask what you think Tom i'm I'm with you on that and then I
0: do think she's a little one noty I love Aubrey Plaza she you know at, 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 when she's doing like a, a very dry deadbeat character and she's great at that uh but when you have her in stuff like safety not guaranteed where she's supposed to have this dynamic relationship with mark duplass who does all the heavy lifting or there's a suppose, like a raunchy sex comedy called the to-do list where she's supposed to you know she's the main character in that i think she's in over her head a bit and i felt that way about her here um i'm just not sure that she has much range beyond what's used to great use here is this kind of dazed zombie, um, because once she starts trying to do feral and she's you know trying to do the physicality of this this hungry yeah. zombie i didn 't feel that any of that worked, yeah, um, and I just wasn 't buying it, and I felt bad because you know I felt the same way watching her trying to do raunchy sex comedy in the to do list i i wasn't buying it um. But when she does, like this sort of impassive girlfriend in um, what's the thing where um, Adam Sandler plays Adam Sandler, but he has a blood disease, and Seth Rogen is his assistant. What is that uh, people, funny
1: people, funny people.
0: Oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah, funny people. Uh, you know, when she's got a little part but like in Funny People, she's really striking. Um, yeah. But as the lead in a movie, I, d- I just feel bad that it's uh, she. I feel like she can't quite. P- pull hard enough so this is
2: the movie to judge that by maybe i mean
0: this is or isn't you scene?
2: well it's a rookie effort and there's a lot of
0: here's what you don't do in a rookie effort you don't have eric hendrick show
1: up for a scene (laughs) right it's like oh my god exactly what the hell why are we watching her (laughs) well the the reason is i mean and it's weird to write about her in this because uh, what i wrote is that boy she finally brings life to this uh, there's uh, this movie finally has life, and I'm like, oh, that's the point. Uh, she's the one character with life, um, but still, she's just oh my god. <laughs> she shows up, and I'm like, I want. Can we just follow her around?
0: Right, she's radiant, <laughs> and
1: I'd like, and and furthermore, I'd like to see her try to do something brave like that.
0: Like, yeah, I guess Harvey yeah, Plaza yeah. is. I, I, actually, I don't know who would sell more tickets, but that's probably that's not really what this movie is trying uh, to yeah. do. But I would have loved to have seen Anna Kendrick try to play with that kind of transformation performance over the course yeah, of the yeah. movie. Like, why couldn't she have been the one who died and came back? Um,
2: but Aubrey Plaza has those eyes. She
0: does have those eyes, Kelly.
2: <laughs> You're definitely
1: right. So when they go zombie, you get a big <laughs> well no but
2: but aunt hendrick has
1: wattage i mean there's just something about yeah, you know yeah. as soon as she shows up on screen I'm like oh my god okay good now i'm leaning forward and and imagine her playing this character who comes in uh who's supposed to be dead and then what what is she going to do with that? I mean, that's kind of interesting me. I mean, I like the things that Aubrey Plaza does, and the things that Tom said kind of already cover it. Uh, but when when Andrew Kendrick shows up, I'm like, wait, why are you in this movie? Okay, now I'm, uh, I am, mean, but you know, it does
0: know at least to uh, to play us out with her. Like it ends with yeah. a smile. Like it's sort of like it realizes. Well, I guess the strongest note we can end on is is having
1: Anna Kendrick beaming, like, and, and cut to the credits. Well, I do, I don't know how this dude Jeff Baina, got all these people in his movie. I mean, Jesus, how do you get all these people in the in your movie? It, it does kind of, you know, uh, and even John
0: C. Riley. Like, I imagine that's kind of like you get someone on board, and then they that's how happens with yeah. them. And yeah, like, what was that Cyrus thing with John C. Riley and Jonah right. Hill? Wasn't that clearly oh, yeah. like one new director? Um, you know, you just have actors like the folks in this movie who are
2: just... just occasionally Oop. it pays off.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, imagine this movie without those actors. Like, imagine this movie without... Without Gary Marshall. I and mean, even, like, uh, what's, who played his mother? Is it Cheryl Hines? Yeah. Like, uh, Shannon? Oh, yeah, Cheryl Hines. Yeah, yeah, like, even her showing up. I don't know, and Paul Reiser. Like, I, just imagine this without good, watchable people in those roles. It, well, it would have been kind of insufferable, I think. Right.
2: Um, <clears throat> he's not there. Is that what you're saying? Uh, <laughs> say?
0: So you, have any of you guys seen that French series, uh, The Returned?
2: Uh, a little bit of it. I kind of like it.
0: Oh, I love that! And that—that that, by the I,
2: way, it's so- really good. It what? You just like that kid actor?
0: Yeah, she's amazing. The redheaded kid. Well, actually, all the actors. I yeah. mean, that's what's amazing about it is just <laughs> with, without exception, so many strong actors and the different storylines, and it's exploring more thoroughly this idea of zombie mythology as being about having a second chance at life. You know, yeah. what happens when the people who have died come back, but they're changed and there's something different. Uh, and I love how The Returned plays with that in these really subtle, unsettling ways. But here, I like, why do they they like dirt? Like, why does it seem dirt
2: uh. attic? Well, see, that's the thing is like The Return is a what's going on movie in right. addition to the characters being interesting. So it's like – I was kind of bummed when Life After Beth turned out to be just a zombie movie, but even without the zombies in it much. Like right. I thought it was like, oh, wait, why did she come back? Is it's something – Right, right. But then, then it just – then
3: it's so right.
2: smooth. It just go. Oh, okay, so it's not a zombie because a zombie would like claw right. out of the grave, and they remember what they are and their brains. And
0: I did wonder if there was a budgetary constraint. Like, did they not have the money to dig a hole? What yeah, the and it's like oh, it's-
2: snake bites, She went hiking alone for some reason. She never does normally. Like, <laughs> and then she doesn't remember breaking up with him. Like, oh, there's an amnesia sub. Like, what's it's? I got all. Oh, it's gonna be like Donnie Darko, where I have to like figure it out. And then it's like by the time Gary Marshall shows up and. Everyone's apologizing to Dane. i like, sorry, we didn't believe you about the zombies. I was just like,
0: well, and they do weird things, too, by implying that it's happening everywhere. But yet, some of these other zombies know enough to, like, show up for work as short-order cooks or to still try to deliver the mail. Right. Yeah, they
2: oh, – right.
0: The, the fiction of what was supposedly going on here, I didn't quite understand. None of them look the same. Yeah, and, and it just becomes, a, you know, a, a, like a micro-budget zombie apocalypse. Yeah,
2: when the mailman does that thing, you're like, oh wait, so he wouldn't have he had to have gotten that bag of mail and the mail truck somehow, which if he was just a zombie, there's no way he would have been able to. Yeah, yeah. So
1: So, what's what's going on? on? I think there's got to be some sort of Parks and Rec thing going on because that guy's from Parks and Rec. The postman. Oh. Yeah, his name's Jim O'Hare, and he he plays a guy they they just do this whole thing about his name he's he's jerry or he's he's larry or whatever on on parks and rec um so that that guy shows up in in the movie i think maybe she i just i'm just guessing like there's a bunch of little relationships going on and hey let's get this guy sure
0: absolutely right right well i'm sorry they couldn't get us some chris pratt and amy poehler and um also in Parks and Rec, isn't it uh, Paul Rudd or someone? Oh no, uh, Adam Scott, the other Paul Rudd.
1: Yeah, the other Paul Rudd. <laughs> Louis C.K. is on it too. I think. I think the there was one thing I really liked about this. Um, I, I did like this the sense of the unfolding apocalypse behind them. I mean, there's that moment where he goes where uh, Dane DeHaan's character, where uh, what's his name, Zach, is going to the door, and some guy just runs down the street behind him in the dark, and he just like looks over. At him. Shoulder.
0: I didn't understand the timing of that. Like, what? Why were we seeing at that moment? Because then there's it seems like there's a couple more days. Like, who was that? Where was he going? Like, why is there panic at that point? There's even a point where on the radio, there's something about yeah. a widespread destruction downtown. Click, someone changes the channel or something. I, I didn't quite get this idea because I love when movies play with that. And if you guys remember when we saw Phase Seven, yeah. remember how that movie played with this idea yeah. of hey, there's some weird panic going on. Remember how awesome that was in that yeah. movie. And it was interesting. And, and kind of Shawna
1: of of the Dead does that. Yeah, I mean, Shaun I mean, of the Dead totally plays with that.
0: And that's a great, you know, that's a great part of an apocalypse movie is, you know, when do you first find out? When do you start getting inklings? Does the audience right. maybe see something behind you that you didn't see? Um, and here it was just doled out in such a strange fashion. Yeah. That I found it a little confusing and incoherent. And, and, um, and I also this, I, I guess I should be more forgiving, but these are all name actors. This movie had a two and a half million dollar budget. Really? Uh, Yep. Why on earth, with that budget, did we not get you know the uh, the why didn't we get a scene of driving through at least some ruined street or something? What they did, they simply would put in the background sound effects of gunshots or a helicopter or a jet. Um, At uh, at one point, there was an explosion off screen, and they just put light on Dane DeHaan. But I I mean, (laughs) with your budget, give us some sort of two and a half. Two and a half billion dollars. That's so much for a horror movie. And the end, by the way, when he shoots her, and he's, they're talking, you know, they should be looking over a burning city. like that. If, if you really want to do a zombie apocalypse or you really want to create this sense of your own personal emo angst, is, is you know the, the proportions that it feels like when you're that young, have them look over a burning city. Just throw a few of those dollars at some CG studio. Uh, it just seemed weird to me,
2: some of that stuff. Your next cost $1 million. I'm, that's not a zombie movie, obviously. but yep, There
1: you go. Well, they seem to end it, though, with this sort of like, well, that was just a minor thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm staying in a bathroom. Some guy's going to walk through the front of the frame. and uh, So everything seems to be fine now. <laughs> like, We're I all like fine that. here. We're all fine here <laughs> now. I mean, how do you feel about that ending? Rather, it's not really in a... It's like a, a an unapocalypse or a prepocalypse or something. It's, it 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 doesn't become an apocalypse, it becomes well, we got this under control. It was a yeah. weird outbreak, but we're okay now. We're all fine here. what, what do you think about that? It's a,
0: yeah, it's a, it's like a TV show. It's like a reset to zero by the time it's over. We can't end the world. Sorry. Uh, We don't have the
2: budget. Is that why though?
0: Or is it just like the spirit of the movie? Well, no, I, I, I I actually have an answer to that. I mean, I think the, the arc of the movie, and this is also, it's so Uh, five hundred summer, it drives me crazy. The arc of the movie is, You know, you get your heart broken because the woman you love changed, and you're a kid, and you don't understand that. But there's always someone you're going to date later who's better. You know, that's his whole thing with it ending with him in the car with uh, Anakin.
2: But it's not our choice. Like, he likes he was going to be with Beth, and then he's like, oh wait, now having sex with her feels different. So, like, it's not really a, a fair no, by the choice. time it's like, over,
0: he's trying tough. to get rid of her because she's erratic and, and violent and she's unfocused and, uh, no, he's trying to, she's, she's overbearing. He's trying to break up with his girlfriend who he doesn't want to date anymore.
2: That's a bigger problem than Molly Shannon's.
0: <laughs> well no as far as the metaphor of I think what No I know but that's why no,
1: I like that and I like that you brought up 500 days of summer because that makes a lot more sense now it's yeah. just uh, it's that uh, you know if this this is devastating this is this is this is Armageddon for me I've got to get her back and then you get her back and it's like uh, yeah maybe yeah, I
0: don't want her to know there's a cuter
1: girl waiting anyway so yeah.
0: Yeah, it's just he's kind of juvenile, and, you know. He's a young filmmaker, and I'm I, well, actually I say that for all I know, he's an old, I, just because I've never heard of him before. He's an old man. I presume he's a young filmmaker, and uh, you know, so was Mark Webb or whatever his name was when he did Five Hundred Days of Summer. And these are the kind of stories these guys want to tell. So you know, what are you going to do?
2: Yeah, so they can get things like Spider Man.
0: Yeah, Kelly, though, but at least as a as a romance, did this like you know teach you anything? Like it taught me, for instance. That having sex in playgrounds is a thing. I was not aware of that. I certainly, as a teenager, had my share of moments where I'm trying to drive around and find a place to park and, you know, fool around with a, a girlfriend or whatever. It never once occurred to me to just go to a playground right there in the sand. Um, so I learned that, that I missed out on all of that when I was a kid. It's easier if
2: you're a swinger.
3: One, two, three, not only you and me, I'm 88.
2: But surely you learned something, right? Did you learn Yeah, carry one? I wanna make out with Aubrey Plaza but just her eyes. Uh-huh. I have a monkey bar fetish though.
0: Okay, well we'll talk hey. about that on the uh the part.
2: So I was six. And I got it. And it was replaced by a blue fetish. Congratulations, wait, Mark.
1: Oh, it's great, Kelly. Continue, elaborate. <laughs> wait a minute. Isn't this? Uh, I thought uh, this was supposed to be a car wash. <laughs> I
0: love that Kelly Wand recast the gender of that role.
2: <laughs> it wasn't me. It was the future. Oh right, right. Uh, yeah, the, the future easy. wrote that opsis. That's why it's so badly written. <laughs> Writing's really gonna—it's like uh, Cat's Cradle. Everyone's gonna get dumber. Wait, idiocracy? Which one's the dumber? The,
0: uh, idiocracy. I don't know. Cat's Cradle—that's a Kurt Vonnegut story, isn't it? No. Some Corn
2: blue story. Some listener will tell us.
0: Okay. Well, in she the said, meantime, uh, let's start. do a three by three by Dingus. All
1: right. All right. These are your three favorite graveyard scenes. Go, Gah. Kelly. Are you first? You—you—you've got next week's topic, right, Kelly? I do. Sweet. Well, so, uh, Kelly, what's your
2: number three favorite graveyard scene? In the- okay, I forget the name of this movie, so Tom's going to have to remind me. All right, let me see if I can do it. Okay, it's the one where Rachel Lee Cook.
0: I'm not going to know this. I don't even know. She's, the- she's Mickey Rourke's daughter and the wrestler, right?
2: No, that's... No. Uh, oh,
0: that's Rachel Evan Wood. Dadgum it. I don't know who Rachel Lee Cook is. No,
2: it's Evan Rachel Wood. Oh, right. Her first Rachel name is Evan. Her first name is Evan. You're lying. It's Oh sort of- God, dude. The
0: girl who played Mickey Rourke's in the Wrestler is a girl whose first name yeah. is Evan.
2: Yep, and her last name is played, dingus, which is a little masculine, huh?
1: Thing is dingus, he back to that. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I know. I know. Yeah, Evan Rachel. I think you're right, but I was just thinking that it was that group. Because that's how girls who are witches. The craft. The craft. Uh, the craft. Who is is who it the craft?
0: Aft. Is that what you talking about? But wait, who is Rachel Lee Cook?
2: She's uh, the. She, she was in Josie and the Pussycats, and she was in. Um, the Freddie Prinze Jr. movie, She's All That. She was the ugly duckling student.
0: So uh, far, I don't know any of these. Go on. Which, which one's in 13? <laughs>
2: oh, no, uh, no, no. Uh,
0: that's the Evan Rachel Wood one. That's
2: Evan Rachel Wood. All right. What? Oh, is that not her? No, that's Close Savini. No.
0: No, 13, the thing directed by the woman who went on to, I think, two Twilight movies.
2: Yeah. Rachel Lee Cook, brah. She's in a movie called Tangled. It's kind of good.
1: That's sure. I've seen that. The Disney cartoon. Yeah, that's an awesome one with a frying pan and everything.
2: <sighs> There's a frying pan in the one I'm speaking of, but not the movie that's on my list. All
0: right, so I'm probably not going to know this because I don't know who Rachel Lee Cook is well enough, but what? Go
2: ahead and describe the movie. She's foxy. She's like a little pixie. Yeah, she's
0: probably a little too young. I don't, I am how old is she? All
2: right. Now she's old She was old enough when the scene was made. She's like one of those, like, she looks too young. She's the girl next door, but then she started making really cool movies like this. But she's having sex with a dude in a graveyard. Oh, 1114. Ah, see, I knew you'd know it. Yeah. I think oh, I told you, you about this movie. What? Okay, she's having sex with a guy in a graveyard, and then they're having such good sex that the giant headstone falls and crushes his head as she comes, and then she runs out and gets hit by a car.
1: Yeah. Uh, although, that's basically... <laughs> Reaction.
2: Well,
0: that's basically the reveal. So eleven fourteen, Dingus, I don't know if I know who made it, but it's one of those um, – I
1: don't know what you're saying. Is Are you t- saying words or numbers? Is this a time? Uh, it's numbers. It's, it's
0: actually the time that the car hits her. Uh, Timothy Hutton is driving in a car, and just as is the clock – says 1114, he hits somebody in the street and then the rest of the movie is about unfolding the events. And yeah, Kelly Wanda is exactly right. It's very much like go. It's unfolding the events that revolve around this moment in time and lead up to it.
2: Oh, um, all right. And what's She's very, very testy t- in it, too.
0: Yeah, okay. so, yeah, and that's her having sex and, and the gravestone crushing the dude's head is one of the precipitating events. Yeah.
2: That must have been really intense sex. You so things thing's made that? of marble. And so is the monument
0: (laughs) How could you not remember the name of that? It's such a distinctive name
2: I get it mixed up with the Stephen King hotel room John Cusack That's
0: room 1203 (laughs) Did I get that right? No,
2: 1408 because it adds up to 13
0: Oh, what's room 1203? Is that a thing?
2: Uh, That's a documentary about The Shining Oh, is that true? No, that's the Tom Hanks space movie
1: Oh god, here we go (laughs) What's the movie where somebody gets uh, his watch run over in order so that everybody knows when the crime China occurred? Chinatown. China ah, China. uh, Jack Nicholson
0: that. has a bunch Uh-oh. of watches in his glove compartment. And as he's doing his detective work, watch he starts. the watch and then he'll put it under the tire so that he can come back and get the crushed watch and know when the person left. Is that yeah. what you mean, Dingus?
1: That's what I mean. Yeah.
0: Um, speaking of time, Oh, favorite times. Okay, hold on. That's my 3x3 three three coming up. Right, good. <laughs> anyway,
1: 11, 14, all right, good. times. Anyway,
2: 1114. That's a really cool graveyard scene. The, I like the, the movie is two. called
1: 1114, like 11 yep. colon 14. one, one colon one, four. yep. 11, 14. 1114
2: PM. Nope, no PM. It's just 1114 is the name well, of the That's the sequel. 1114. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, good times. It's like 24.
0: Well, it's got a crazy cast, too, doesn't it? Because there's all the different <laughs> uh, plots, so, uh Timothy Hutt Timothy run
2: for, Yeah Yeah.
0: And it, and the the big reveal too is like and actually is it Timothy Hutton?
1: Uh, you know what? I
0: might be wrong. Is it maybe Colin Hanks?
1: Oh good lord! They are not the same person. It's not even close. I know. Colin Hanks could be Timothy Hutton's son. Is that a good movie? I didn't. I only saw that part. for... Eleven fourteen.
2: Yeah. Um. Yeah, I remember you always sounded like,
0: nah. yeah. Oh, gosh, look at this cast list. Yeah, it's definitely not Timothy Hutton. Uh, it's got Ben Foster, Patrick Swayze, Colin Hanks, <laughs> Stark Sands. <laughs> ben okay. Foster? Yeah. Hillary Swank, Clark Gregg, Holy Barbara cat. Hershey, and Henry Clark
1: Gregg! Yeah.
0: See? Yeah. Now,
1: 1114,
0: you know, even if it's not good, it's probably worth seeing. I'll say that. For the, the part way, I just
2: described.
0: Uh, he's a, a fellow named Greg Marks. And the only movie he's done since then is something called Echelon Conspiracy, which I think is a is a crappy horror conspiracy movie.
2: If you're on top, you're in charge of seeing which direction the tombstones are going to fall.
0: <laughs> you would think you
2: would be. That's my rule, I'm going to. Is that advice though? It's more of a guideline.
0: Guideline, good enough. <laughs> my three. My third favorite uh, cemetery scene is as I was thinking of cool cemetery scenes, I realized this might. Uh, reveal a little bit too much about my psyche, but that's okay, because I like this theme. That All of my cemetery scenes involve sex.
2: Ah, see, mine too. Oh, that's right. Oh, really? All of them? Well, so far.
0: Well, there will be overlapping some, because my third favorite is in Phantasm, uh, where early on, where the tall man, played by Angus Strim, pretends he's a chick, and he goes into bars to cruise for dudes, Um, And then he lures the dudes out into the cemetery nearby where he slash she has sex with them. And just before killing them with a knife so that he can compress their body down and send them back and reanimate them and send them back to be slaves on his home planet, just before he actually kills them, he transforms back into himself. So you realized you were having sex with a really old, scary man. What a dick. Yeah. And so the cemetery there, there are two, two moments where this scene happens. There's first, the first scene where uh, the little kid's older brother gets killed, and we see this happen. But then the kid's other older brother, Jody, gets lured in the cemetery, but the kid saves him by uh, by freaking out and yelling. And his brother re- leaves the girl briefly, who's actually the scary old man, and gets saved. There's also, by the way, a, a motorcycle crash in a cemetery. Me back. Yeah.
2: Is he tall down there?
0: I don't understand. Kellyanne, Kelly- Kelly- Kelly, he's pretending to be a girl. How would, that makes no sense? Uh, probably, was... and that probably involves aspects of biology that Scarlett Johansson could not achieve.
1: Mm-hmm. Does he ever say "girl"?
0: <laughs> he actually did. He might in one of the sequels, because in one of the, the Phantasm sequels, there's a there's a chick who's featured more prominently as like the heroine.
2: Oh. Don't they try to put his dick in a garbage disposal and a bug comes out? Chick, please. <laughs>
0: Dingus, what's your number three favorite? Uh, All right,
1: my number three is totally I mean, boring so- after after eleven fourteen and Phantasm.
3: <laughs> um,
1: sex. That was Tom's theme. <laughs> old man. Um, none of mine have any sex in the uh, in the scenes. Not interested then. No, not changed you not interested. All right, so uh, my number three is from the movie Rushmore. <sighs>
0: Um, (laughs) just for the record, that was not my, uh, my groan. That was Kelly Wands entirely. I did not do that.
2: That's just how I (laughs) breathe.
1: All right. One of the, one of the great, uh, this is, you know, obviously one of my favorite movies. And, uh, and this, this is this weird sort of uh, precious thing that Wes Anderson was doing in his early movies, but certainly he has not carried forth into his later movies. He's got a couple of, uh, of other graveyard scenes um, going forward, but for, but, for my money, this, I, I just, I, I can't help but love this weird sort of thing where, where, uh, where Max and his father live, uh, right up next to a cemetery. Um, it's, it's in Houston. It's called the, I think it's called the, um, oh geez, the famous, ho- the historic Hollywood cemetery, but it's in Houston, um, cause they've done all their filming there. Uh, but if their, their sad little house is right, is abutted right up next to the, To the graveyard and the scene in question or there's i'm going to cheat a little bit there's two scenes that i really like there's there's this one scene where max is at his lowest point and he's just sitting next to the uh to his to the he's sitting at his mother's grave um she's basically buried in their backyard um uh and he's sitting there next to her grave and bill murray comes up and says you wanted to meet me here and max is like i don't remember that i don't care anymore i mean he's at his lowest point and and he's like why did you want me to and bill murray's like why did you want want to meet me here and and max says um oh yeah i was i was going to have that tree over there fall on you and and he says that big one yeah that would have that would have crushed me um and so they have this little scene and it's clear that max is just at his lowest point he's he's ma- he's finally made a sexual advance. uh on this teacher. This is, this is November. This is the November chapter of the movie where they're having Thanksgiving and it's a sad Thanksgiving that's going to develop with him eating a TV dinner. Um, but, uh, but he's just, he's just sad. His, his, his crush is not going to work out. He doesn't understand sexuality at all. Uh, she, the the teacher that he's totally into is has embarrassed him by by being sort of vulgar about sex and he didn't un- and he as a child doesn't understand that and he's sitting next to his mother's grave because he doesn't have his mom to talk to and he can't talk to his dad about this and and so this this great little scene where he finally walks off and and uh, and then the, there's this great little gag where the where the tree falls over but then a little while later the the girl the girl that's bullying him that that will be his girlfriend, who is actually a reasonable person for him to be involved with, on Thanksgiving, brings him this little plant. And you don't he rejects her, he doesn't talk to her, but after having his sad little Thanksgiving uh, TV dinner, he walks out the backyard, he has this little platform that he can Walk up to jump over their little chain link fence, and he walks out into the graveyard with this little plant, which he's clearly going to put on his mother's grave. Uh, so I just I love that those those little touches in uh, in Rushmore.
0: Who was the girl who gave him the plant? Is that Margaret Yang?
1: Yeah, she comes to the house and and you can't hear her talking to the dad. She's basically asking, "Is Max here? I, I just want to see him." And and his dad is giving excuses, and then there's this awkward. I think it's it's shot a little weird. It's a little too close, uh, but this this awkward thing where she sees Max sitting in the window, and he pulls the curtains aside because he's he's not ready to give up what he feels. And Is
0: that her name, Margaret Yang? Did I get that right?
1: Uh, yeah, I don't remember if that's the – yeah, yeah, that's Margaret Yang.
0: Uh, so I had – and isn't there a line I, – I, I dated a girl who was Asian for a long time, and she used to always say, you were really mean to me, because isn't that the line that's Kelly Wand. isn't that the line that Margaret Yang has to him at the end of the movie when they finally get together she's I think, really I think
1: nice it's <laughs> I think it's along the lines of you're a real jerk to me oh then maybe she wasn't quoting Brushwater <laughs> but maybe not I don't know maybe she's just saying something did that happen oh, to you too, too? Oh. Uh, does anyone I could, be, else I could have... be wrong she might be right
0: uh, I may be misremembering. I just remember that cute little. I mean, she's definitely invoking the scene at the end where where he and Margaret Yang get together, and it's really cute. Uh, yeah.
1: And I, I think she does say something. Like, you're you were a real jerk to me. But it's, you might.
0: You know what? That sounds like, that actually now that I try to play it back in my head, Dingus. I bet you're right. And besides, who would know a line from Rushmore better than Dingus?
2: That's a good point. She uh, could use she... karate to cut the tree around. Oh.
0: <sighs> I does anybody else have on their list a Wes Anderson movie? <gasps> All mine are.
1: I almost chose the other one.
0: Okay. Because the line mean- – I love the line. Oh That's right. You've got one here too.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yes.
0: <laughs> From Royal Tenenbaums. <laughs> I love that scene. <laughs> uh, Kelly Wand, what's your number two favorite uh, grave – so it's graveyards, not cemetery. Is there a difference between a graveyard and a cemetery? Uh,
1: no. I mean I think, I think of graveyards as slightly different, but I'm not going to – I'm not going to quibble. I think what is the difference? There, I, think they, I don't think there's any difference. But you said uh, you think
0: of them as slightly
1: different. Uh I think – I don't know. I think of them – Are cemeteries Victorian? This is going to sound totally dumb because the pick I picked doesn't have this, but I think of a graveyard as something at night and a cemetery as something in the day. Oh, that I doesn't like that. Any, that. doesn't make any – That doesn't make any sense.
0: I like that. Let's go with that. During the day, it's a cemetery, but by the time night falls, it's a graveyard. I like that, thing. <laughs>
1: Uh, but I didn't look up the difference between them, because it, it's it's kind of like the difference between a phonograph and a record play, right? I mean, at this point, who cares? Yeah.
0: So, Kelly, what is your favorite cemetery or graveyard scene? Second favorite.
2: Mm, I'm bummed, because I was kind of dwelling on my number three, but then it kept turning into your number three. So, like, Rachel Lee Cook's face kept turning into Angus Scrimm. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that'll put you off, if you know what I mean. Well, maybe it won't. But the chest stayed the same. I'm really excited about my number two. In fact, I thought this was one of my favorite topics in a long time. I was really, really stoked by it. I had to turn away so many at the gate. Wow. Wait, is it a gate at the front of the watch cemetery? They can have gates, sure. See, but mausoleums are different, huh?
0: Well, a mausoleum is a structure, and people are interred inside the mausoleum. Like a cemetery or graveyard has people buried in the earth, and there can be a mausoleum inside of a cemetery or graveyard, I would assume.
1: And a mausoleum tends to have like a velvet rope and a dude standing behind it with a clipboard.
0: Man, did you get that reference, Kelly? Wand?
1: I think he means a Bible and a lectern, and he's
2: doing like a eulogy, jar.
0: Mausoleum has a guy with a clipboard and a clipboard.
1: Is that a club? Mausoleum sounds like a club name.
0: What? Diggus has not played enough D and D. &D. That's what I'm here to say.
2: Everybody goes to mausoleum.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's where you fight the undead. If you, you make sure you bring a cleric
2: with you. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm sure you know, uh, I'm <laughs> Lost I Ira Eleven. What that mean? Was that that was called? even
1: more random than what Dingus said. <laughs> I was trying to out. I was trying to what up, Dingus? Like I Meet me at the Levens at sixteen hundred. You know what that means? <laughs> it's four o'clock.
0: Nice pull from life after Bath, Dingus. God.
1: My, my number two,
2: my number one, there were there were clear choices. Like this is the second best.
0: As clear as mine.
2: Uh, I think we have a tie. I, bet, I predict. Uh, oh. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Oh. Number two, which I doubt Tom has, but I'm sure Dingus will. Uh, okay, and MacGruber. <laughs> <laughs> Enough said.
1: <laughs> done and done. <laughs>
2: no, tell
0: us the scene, Kelly One. Uh
2: Kristen Wigg takes a bullet at McGruber and loving they, this already. Go ahead. Sorry. They have really bad sex while that song uh what's that song called? Found Wounded downtown? Take This the moment, and I'll learn to fly again. What's that song? Oh
0: Sorry. uh Total Eclipse of the Heart.
2: Total Eclipse of the Heart is playing. <laughs> But Laura Branigan, morning. I have
0: you called, take this broken wing. Yeah, take
2: this broken wings playing, and so they have really bad sex, and then um, he misses his dead wife who died on the- a
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: So he drives to the graveyard.
0: Oh my God, this is inspired, Kelly. Do you
2: this part? I, I do it now. Absolutely, yeah. Go no, on.
1: Good. it's. I can't believe... Did Dingus
2: even see this part? And he still didn't like that movie? Dingus
1: doesn't... I saw the whole movie, at least. All right. Least. It doesn't it. work for me, but go ahead. You're you're winning the day. Go ahead. Win the okay, day. Okay, so then Maya
2: Rudolph's his dead wife, and she shows up at her tombstone, and she's all, you can have sex with Kristen Wiig. I totally approve. <laughs> and then they make out, and then he starts having sex with her over the tombstone while the song plays again, <laughs> this broken wing, and then... Um, what, what's the guy called? The groundskeeper of the cemetery? Right. He just... He sees them, but he only sees... <laughs> he sees with ass fucking Tombstone, because he doesn't see the ghost. Uh-huh. So, he has a reaction shot.
0: And just to think, Kelly Wan, this is the guy that went on to star in Nebraska.
2: <laughs> That's Bruce Dern? What?
0: The comic skills of Will Forte.
2: Uh-oh. Oh. Oh, I really thought that was... I thought you... No. <laughs> oh, jeez. Wow. Brownskeeper, the cemetery. No. It, it, the Nebraska... It's like, that's why they work. See, they worked together really well before. So they <laughs> decided to make Nebraska together based on that scene <laughs> together, they got a Gruber that was so moving.
0: But I forgot that was Maya Rudolph, too. That's awesome.
2: Yeah. And she's all, wow, wow, wow.
0: See, Dingus? See how much fun it is to like MacGruber, Dingus? I,
1: I love how much fun it is to like MacGruber. Right. Ah. <sighs> my that's the second best graveyard scene ever.
2: From. Tell me what,
0: I beg to differ. The second best graveyard scene ever uh, is in Return of the Living Dead. Um, the the Part one? Pardon?
2: The, fir- the one with the red? As far
0: as I'm check. concerned, there's only one. Hmm. I don't oh. think the other ones hold up. Like Dan Bannon, I don't there's think anything difficult. to do with the... Uh, there's probably more than that, aren't there? Uh. I think
2: they went on to do like... Well, well, the second one's just like the first one, except the girlfriend's blonde and
0: but without Dan O'Bannon, red. right? He didn't direct it, did he? Uh,
2: Dan O'Bannon.
0: Dan O'Bannon wrote and directed Return of the Living Dead. Really? Yeah. What do you mean, really? That's uh, I know him for that more than Dark Star or. The first one's got
2: that cool ending.
0: Well, um, it also has. So the first one is such a relic of the '80s, too. Uh, it's got the '80s punk. Right. Walker group. And this gang is such this, like, weird assemblage of 80s detritus.
2: Spike Mohawk.
0: No yeah, there's the spike guy with the, it's not even like a mohawk, it's kind of just this weird head shaped thing. He's got a Terminator patch. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a Terminator looking guy. Um, there's a preppy dude, there's a black dude, there's the good girl. Um, and <laughs> the goth chick is played by this scream queen named Liana Quigley. So, They have a couple hours to kill in this town and they're like, what are we going to do for a couple hours? And one of the guys says, we should just drive around. The other guy's like, no, you are going to pay for gas? We can't do that. And one of the guys is like, hey, let's go into that cemetery over there. And the cemetery is called Resurrection Cemetery and it's right next to the medical storage warehouse where Bert and Ernie are currently uh, discovering the zombie closed up in the barrel. And the the gas gets loose, it goes up into the, the chimney and it goes into the sky over the cemetery, which is right next door, and then a thunderstorm washes it all down into the cemetery, and the dead rise up from here while this weird 80s group is partying in there. And what what this group does when they go into the cemetery to party before the chemicals wash out of the sky and uh, raise the dead from their graves is Liana Quigley, um, who's got bright red hair, just uh-huh. takes off her clothes and starts dancing around on a uh-huh. gravestone. Doesn't she try to
2: seduce the nerd of the group?
0: Too? No, she tries to seduce Suicide, who's the the, the spiky, the Bill Paxton intern garb guy. And he doesn't want anything to do with it because he's bummed out because no one understands him. Uh, it's, it's just Dan O'Bannon goofing around with these 80s stereotypes and this super hot naked chick. And she even has this bit where – to, to prove that she's the goth chick, you know, they're in the cemetery at night, and she says, what's the worst way you could think of to die? Because for me, it would be to be surrounded by old men who are biting me. Um, and it's later on, that's <laughs> exactly what happens to her in the cemetery when they run back there. And she, she's, by the way, is, is most is like naked throughout the movie. Uh-huh. Uh, when she runs back in the cemetery. The zombies catch up with her, and they—they, they, you know, they're old men zombies, and they surround her and eat her.
2: But she's intact later as a zombie.
0: Exactly, as a super hot zombie, naked but with a scary face, totally naked, uh, kicking the ass of like cops who are like armed and stuff. She rushes the barricades as a super hot naked zombie chick. Yeah, but it all starts in the graveyard
2: with these people
0: just busting into the graveyard and partying, and that means one chick just takes all her clothes off and dances around on a tomb.
2: Do you remember what happens to the Paxton guy? Because um, it happens in that of scene.
0: Yeah. No, no,
2: no, you're wrong.
0: No, totally happens. So it's, the, it's the really elaborate uh, melted zombie in the medical warehouse who bites him on the skull uh, and says brains, and he's the first one to die. Totally. Okay, so watched scene.
2: Oh, okay, wait. So tell me what I'm thinking of then. Okay. Just dumb. Doesn't one of them pee in a grave, and then a zombie comes out and grabs Oh. Or is that the second one? Wait, they don't do that. The punks aren't in the second one, though, so it has to be the first
0: one. Yeah, you must be right. It must be one of them in the first
2: one. Wait, but you just saw the scene. and you- I just saw the
0: scene. I didn't watch the whole movie. Uh, I saw the graveyard scene. So I- Actually, here's what I accidentally saw, and I didn't mean to. I googled Return of the Living Dead. And it just said Leanna Quigley scenes. <laughs> Watched that, and it was all of her scenes spliced together in one video. I don't know why anyone would need that,
2: uh, but it was all of her scenes <laughs> spliced together. So I don't know why anyone would need that. that. <laughs> wasn't what you said. It wasn't his brain getting bitten. It was so hers. No, she was in that
0: scene because she's running around naked in the background. Like she, they all see when he gets his brain bitten. Um, oh, yeah. only well, uh, there's not two. Um, you know what? There is another conventional punk. So I bet you're right that it is that guy. Yeah,
2: Dick grab. Yeah. Come on, Stan O'Bannon.
0: What do you mean, Stan O'Bannon?
2: Well, you know, he's into the the dick.
0: Oh, right, right, right. But he's not. I don't think he's an actor in the movie. I would have.
2: No, I'm just saying that that has to have happened in it because it's a Stan O'Bannon production. I'll buy that. Yeah.
0: And and of course, Bean. Like, when did Night of the Living Return of the Living Dead come out?
2: 1984. Because I remember I was reading The
1: Stand. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, 85. Yeah, it's an 85 movie. Oh, Kelly, I wish I'd known you then. Because I think I was reading The Stand about then, too. Really? So imagine being a high school kid and seeing this stuff. Like a- and it was I was reading a, it, it like it was
2: like when the book was the events of the book were happening. Like everyone was getting a plague and I was I had a cold while I was reading it. It was like the same day. Did you so have a super flu, Kelly? No, just Captain Trips.
0: All right, good. Uh, I'm very proud of myself. I got a reference. Someone on a podcast or something said something about a, a Randall Flag, and I, th- I, I uh, the back of my head, I was like, "Oh, that's just a stand reference." I think I know what that. that uh, is. Judge Ferris, bro. What? I what now I mean? have no idea what you're on about.
1: Ah, uh, Judge Ferris and the Crows. <laughs> Kelly, did you ever read the uh, the yeah. total version of it? Yeah, it's way
2: better. There's oh, a rock- lot really? of big shit. Yeah, yeah, you should check it out. Yeah, I didn't think. It was way better. There was like way more breakdowns of society, and it was it was kind of a travesty what he wound up getting cutting out. There's a really cool part with a lottery on TV. <laughs> oh wow! You know, go right. read all those parts. Go back and reread the whole book and skip the last hundred pages. Well, go. I actually own that the, that silly that whole gigantic silly book in hardcover that I got. good. Time. Yeah, it's got those uh, Bernie Wrightson right. pictures in it. Doesn't it? Right.
1: That was a good value, I thought. The unexpurgated one. I totally expected you to say, no, no, just read the regular one.
2: It's weird, because he could have just cut the last hundred pages of the old version, where it's just a dude walking around. All it goes, tells him which pharmaceuticals do for his leg. But then, he cuts like 300 pages of awesome plague shit. Hmm. Tom, thoughts? You don't read that guy.
0: I don't do books. Interesting. Uh, there is a Stephen King uh, TV show on right now that you guys should probably be watching.
2: Under the Duh. That's right. Ugh. I was, I was it was a Maximum Overdrive series. Do you remember Golden Years? Where the guy ages backwards. Stephen King series. What? Okay. You remember that? It had uh, that chick from Desperate Housewives on it. as the femme fatale. And, uh... I don't know. It was pretty slow. Francis Sternhagen was on it as All Francis right. Sternhagen.
1: Well, oh, well, she's in misery. I, I like her. She's great.
2: She's a king loyalist. Yeah, in the mist, yeah. she's always around. Right. Tom likes her.
0: I like her. Isn't doesn't isn't she the one who patches up Sean Connery in yeah. Outland?
2: Yeah, she's his love interest.
0: I know. I recall thinking I uh, was at the age it was like, oh, she's the,
2: she's, she's the Grace Kelly of Outland. <laughs> I don't know who that is, really. This high Noon is – she's in
0: – Oh, Grace Kelly is the chi- – oh, look at you, Kelly one making all these erudite film references.
2: Wow. I'm, I'm the smart one, disguised. Grace
0: Kelly is the chick in High Noon, because I actually
2: like that movie. Uh, you oh. do? Yeah, I love it. Uh, I go back and forth on it. I feel like it's kind of predictable
0: in a way. Well, of course. it's, uh, it's From here. Yeah. Seminal, seminal things <laughs> tend to be predictable.
2: Well, and it was supposed to be about the McCarthy list, so I should like it more, but – it's like Outland I saw first, so it's like, yeah, this movie's kind of ripping off Outland. <laughs> Connery's way better in the original. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's like listening
1: to the Weird Out. I always feel like that when I'm watching 3 o'clock high.
2: Right. <laughs> See, that? I kind of like – I have the same opinion of that too.
0: Say the last name of the lead actor in that movie, Dingus.
1: Simasco. Simasco. Ooh.
0: Yep, Dingus. I wanted to hear Dingus do it. S- Dingus, can you do it?
1: Say, Mul- sorry. Mulroney.
0: Yeah, he can't do it.
1: <laughs> say the name of the bully in that movie. It's, it's Shemashko. Baldwin. Casey Shemashko.
0: Really? Shemashko?
1: Shemashko. No.
0: no way. Is he right, Kelly Wand? No. It's a name I could never – I recognize it. I like him with Burt Reynolds in a movie called Breaking In, um, but I, I could never Same say the name.
2: Name, name the bully on 3 O'Clock High. Adam Baldwin.
0: No. Oh, is
2: it a Baldwin? Sam.
0: That doesn't matter. Oh, no, I'm thinking of My Bodyguard. Dadgummit. Oh. <sighs> I might I might oh, have never Christmas seen Peace. I might have never seen Three O'clock High I might have only oh, seen
2: 3. what it's got such a great fight in a go yeah. back and uh, watch it uh, so who's the bully in Three O'clock High Nina Samuelsko's sister Penis
1: uh, what Nina. 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 Nina her name Penis is Nina what it. is she in well she was in some television series uh, Parker lose can't lose I don't know no no she was in something that we saw her in the Ferris Bueller like, was the like in therapy or something but not in therapy and. Yeah. Um, I, I have no idea
2: who the villain is. Anyway, it's Buddy Richard, Ravel. Remember, ah, Buddy Ravel. Remember when we keep saying the name?
3: Who's Buddy Ravel? What are you talking about?
2: <laughs> Do you remember how he wins the fight? All right, just go watch the movie. Okay, three o'clock high. Tom, right. Study.
1: Oh, oh, Buddy uh, Richard Tyson, that guy yeah. from uh, oh, yeah, yeah. from uh, uh, from Red Diaries no, from Dark Side <laughs> What's the what are the, what's the moon that with a weird moon? Moon over
0: Miami, Half Moon Bay. Oh, the painted
1: with. Things that are green. <laughs> Jesus. Moon, 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 moon. He was in with Sherilyn Fenn. It's like a Half Moon uh, Junction uh, or something. Half, uh, full two Moon, moon full, full Moon, Two Moon Junction. Yeah, isn't that Richard Tyson? Probs. Yeah, uh, I've never. He's watched. in a lot of those movies. I He's think in that's movies. who you're talking
2: about. Yeah. He's in movies where people have sex slowly all the time. Red
0: Shoe Diaries, right? Exactly.
2: Red Shoe, Two Moon.
0: Who did the bookends for Red Shoe Diaries? This is probably easy.
2: Uh, the horsehead bookends.
0: Seriously, no one knows this.
2: The bookends. Bookends. Oh, uh, Ha ha! Dingus
0: has seen Red Shoe Diaries.
1: Uh, <laughs> I mean, what? <laughs>
0: uh, All
1: right, there's dingus. a lot of that. Is uh, some graveyards. P- what p- do you
0: have for your number two favorite graveyard scene?
1: All right, here's a quote from it. You spent twelve dollars and didn't hit a goddamn thing. I nailed one and it cost four oh, and dingus. a quarter.
0: Dingus, I'm not right. accepting this. Yes, you are. Give us the line again because I stepped on it. Let's hear it again because I love this line.
1: You spent $12 and didn't hit a goddamn thing. I nailed one and it cost about four and a quarter.
0: Isn't that a graveyard? It's it is. A thousand
1: ways to, to die in the West. West. It's an airplane graveyard and, and it's it not- absolutely is and that's nope. what inspired the topic. So nope.
0: As the topic police, I'm disallowing your choice.
1: Oh, now. No, I'm the topic police for my own topic. You, you can't be my know, topic cop. Nope.
0: There's one topic cop. Oh, okay, fair enough.
1: All right, well, you're Just... the top cop. You're you are definitely the guy in the you're you're, you're too old for this shit, and you're going to throw us out of your office a minute. <laughs> and I'm here
0: seriously. you are, not playing it by the book. And <laughs> dingus, I need your badge and your gun. You're off of the floor. Well, I'm, I'm fresh out book. of the
1: academy. I can't help you.
0: <laughs> uh one. Do you know what movie we're referencing? Not not oh, with course. our little riffing there, but with the line set in an airplane graveyard. Airplane graveyard. Or the worlds, That's pretty just, unmistakable set, I would say, but
2: uh, Waterworld, um, After Earth. I'm gonna
0: give you the first line of the title. All right, Harley.
2: Say it again. Oh, Harley Davidson. Wait, that comes up every. The full
0: there? title. Say the full title.
2: I am. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right, Dingus, Tell us about the scene so that
2: this set, totally you guys takes keep. Place in a it.
0: graveyard, but it takes place in a in a in a place where the word graveyard has been appropriated.
2: I thought they were windmills,
1: and they and they talk about it too. They say they say you know we have to meet at the airplane at the at the airplane graveyard, and I love that image. I just love that image so much. And so as I watched the scene when we watched, uh, you know, we watched Harley Davidson, the Marvel Man, yeah. and uh, and I just had, you know I I'd, I'd chosen it for the pool table thing, because I love that opening pool table scene, but I hadn't seen it in years. And then Tom sort of hooked me into watching the whole movie one night, and they get to that airplane graveyard scene, and I'm just like, oh, wow, I love airplane graveyards. And my brain just sort of did this little click, and uh, it went, oh, graveyard scenes. Well, how about this is a part of a, a, of a graveyard scene? I thought of all the different graveyard scenes that I love, um, and all of a sudden I just, Kind of fell in love with the idea of the airplane graveyard. So the final shootout in Harley Davidson in Marble Man, uh, takes place in this airplane graveyard, which is all these airplanes that have been, uh, set out to pasture and, and, you know, taken apart. And, uh, it's just, it's just so beautifully shot. I just love that scene so much. So I know it's kind of a cheat, but it is referenced as a, an airplane graveyard. So there you go. Kelly, Ron, how do you feel about that?
0: Mm. Uh, you know, it's his topic. <laughs> so then what are you going to do for your number one pick?
2: Oh, I'm going to do a quote. Unless you I, want to comment more on Dingus's.
1: No, it's a so I scene, think he, but
2: it's... he's a little disgusted with me right now. Move on. <laughs> oh, so your
1: police badge is <laughs> saying... I have to, I have to turn in my badge and my pen. That's like saying uh, uh, your
0: favorite scene about a corpse... And then you do a scene in, in a crashed okay, airplane. No, you pick oh the gray because the
2: airplane has crashed. It's the airplane's dead corpse. Well, at the airplane graveyard, are there, are the passengers still in the plane? Nope. <laughs> <Yeah>. they all <laughs> awkward? They all crash the same place. It's weird. Well,
0: it's actually, it's a famous site where I think old like decommissioned uh, air force and navy planes just get dumped in Southern California it, and they just sit there and rust. But uh,
1: they're, but they're not. It's not just that. They're they're. Beautifully laid out. I mean, it's it's yeah. It's the not, military not is nothing that not neat, Dingus. Yeah, exactly. But it it is very much like a graveyard. I mean, everything is spaced out perfectly, and well, I'm sure everything called, has uh, been has been labeled, and uh, and uh, you know the the in, innards of the planes have been removed, just as that would have happened with people. Uh, I'm, I I love that image. I just love that image so much. Anyway, go ahead. Look at it this way: the whole earth's a graveyard,
2: really. It's just, it's
0: so, as so long it's... as the movie takes place on Earth, we could use it as a favorite scene on a great <laughs> Yeah. Movie?
2: Oh. Just as the sun's a crematorium. <laughs> wow. <laughs>
0: Only for Spock. Bro. What? Doesn't Spock what? get shot into the sun when he dies?
2: He doesn't die. Oh, my God. That's the whole problem. Did you just really say that, Kelly? You're thinking of.
0: No, Spock dies in one of the Star Trek's, and they put his body in a coffin and shoot it into the sun, don't they?
1: They shoot uh-huh. it into. Um... For your complaints, please write into three a three at. Nobody cares. Nobody's gonna. Nobody shot cares about. He Planet Genesis. All right, I'm gonna take your bait. He doesn't. Not shot it. into the sun. No. They slingshot no. around the sun in the fourth movie. Jesus. somebody, somebody like, dies in a
0: Star cool. Trek movie and gets shot in the sun.
1: I'm no, sure they don't. Spock dies in all of them.
0: <laughs> Who dies and gets shot into the sun in a Star Trek movie? Can't nobody. One.
1: Spock shot to the planet Genesis. That's why he gets to be reborn. It's not called shooting. What?
2: It's a planet graveyard, the Genesis Project.
1: Right, well, it's, uh, it's like a burial at sea. I mean, it's tantamount to a burial right. at sea. fit into, like, into a sun. No!
2: Since it's unstable, shouldn't his resurrection have also been unstable?
1: You're unstable.
2: A good point. Um, okay, I'm going to do a line. Okay. I expect Tom to get it and Dingus to fume. Um... <clears throat> You should write a book about your theory.
0: Ah, thank God. Ah. That's awesome. <laughs> write a book about what? I'm so glad you picked that. That means you saw the whole movie.
2: I thought you were going to pick it. A...
0: No, I, I did think of it as we were talking, because it doesn't necessarily have to be in a cemetery. That adds something to it, of course. And I love the fact I know exactly where that cemetery is. I used to ride it's... my bike by it all the time when I would ride my bike to the Fry's Electronics when I lived deeper into the valley.
2: There <laughs> so, <laughs>
0: but i love that scene takes place in a cemetery yeah. i love that that actor's encounter with the deer in the cemetery yeah
2: uh, last shot even
0: god all
2: right kelly want to explain that. It? Right there, what is there. It? go ahead i don't want to see i feel bad i don't want to spoil this movie for people you who
0: can't spoil it. it i mean it's not a conventional narrative like is it
2: no but the reason that it's taking place in a graveyard is kind of funny if you right right the whole movie right because okay. really there because of a tragic death.
0: And I like that the movie has to flash back to that, what caused that as well, to when the guy gets shy. Like, I love that little reveal um, and how Marilyn Manson is involved.
2: <laughs> right, right. And then, um wait, I thought it was the Stevie guy. Oh, you're right. Holy cats, I'm
0: thinking about the wrong guy.
2: Your guy yeah, lives could and becomes totally a music Celebrity.
0: No, very good. Yep, I'm totally misremembering my wrong cops, aren't I?
2: And then uh what's Laura Palmer's dad's name, Ray Wise? Ray Wise, yeah, that's right. That's his scene as well. I was trying to remember his name on Twin Peaks. I think it was Leland. It yeah, Leland? Leland Palmer. And so he's right. delivering the eulogy. So, what, for-
1: so how about what movie are we talking about?
2: Oh, we talking about for more.
1: Oh, uh, Wrong Cops. Thank you. Did you see it? Oh, no, I was told not to.
2: What? I don't want to say any more then. I Sorry. want you to see it. It's
0: Quentin Dupieux, the guy who did rubber. Um
1: Did Dingus like that movie or did he say it? Dingus liked rubber, but I don't know that I'm crazy liked... about rubber, but I was no. told that Ron Cops was not for me.
2: Dude, you don't listen you know what? You're not I'm pulling out my badge. You're not allowed to listen to Tom anymore. <laughs> On whether movies are right for you. Because he thinks you're a huge pussy, and I don't. Because he was, for a year or two, he was like, oh, yeah, Dingus can't handle martyrs. Mar- oh, my God, no. Dingus, way too primitive. For-. And I was like, dude, Dingus will love martyrs. Watch. He's going to surprise you. I think you'll be really surprised. And behold, who was right? <laughs> and Wrong Cops is like, it's so much. <sighs> let me be in charge of what you see and what you don't see. <laughs> the, right. the, the guy's an orangutan. He's been. Dragging you down. He's been dragging us both down since this started. <laughs> Please see wrong cops immediately, and then port back. He's an orangutan? Yeah.
1: Like in every which it's way of or, well, or, oh, she's oh, wait, the but Wait, but that means he's the maternal uh, uh, character in <laughs> Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. He's <laughs> our Ruth
2: Gordon and our Clyde at the same time. Okay. And she's kind of a orangutan, like, because she's got red hair, and Clint Eastwood has red hair. It's like a family of orangutans, that fucking uh,
1: Who's movie. the awesome actress who plays that,
2: by the way? No, no. Not of the Planet of the Apes. That was also Ruth Gordon. Okay.
1: Wait, what? Which one are you talking about? I'm talking think about the orangutan. Be,
0: he might be confusing Judy Greer with whoever plays the orangutan. Yeah, isn't Judy
1: Greer the orangutan? Judy Greer orangutan? is Caesar's
0: wife. She's not the orangutan. Bell, do orangutan? Well, uh, I don't think anyone famous a Woman or, or something, I believe.
1: Uh, I think it's Judy Greer. Zoe Bell.
2: <laughs> Things are still green.
0: Uh, so, uh, and, and, and I also love the scene where the cop who's made the song plays it for the other two cops. Yeah. They're saying things like, yeah, this would be great at a club with guys. No girls, just guys only. Yeah. He's kind of dismayed to hear that, but he's, he's, he finally is sort of resigned to taking whatever positive feedback yeah. he can
2: get. Uh, he's kind yeah. of
0: crestfallen that they say that, but then he's like, okay.
2: <laughs> Nothing goes the way you think it's going to go in that movie. Like, you go, all right, I get the-. That's the thing. That's what sucks about life after Beth is you can see what's going to happen. And in- when you can't, it's even lamer and triter than your predictions. Well, as wrong cops all the way to the last shot, it was still <laughs> impressing me. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, this is not bad. It's well, more and- thought out than it looks.
0: But it's so absurd, though, in a all way right. that like I'm. I, I- I would love someone to explain to me why I really, really responded well to Wrong Cops, which I adored that movie. And I, I think I saw that because when you watch something online, like through Amazon, you get it for like three days or whatever. I watched that. I would just have that running in the background while I worked. And actually, now that <laughs> yeah. thing, I should buy that, I just loved should. having that movie playing in the same room with me.
2: It's exquisitely um, cast.
0: But here's the deal: it's so weird and absurd, and it's the, a lot of the humor is, is non
2: sequitur It never drags. It but never. But why drags. do
0: Kelly Long, Why do I like wrong cops, but I don't like they came together?
2: Because they came together as one joke for an hour and a half, and you don't think it's that funny the first time. You don't think okay. David Wayne's comic timing is funny. Okay, and it's a very subjective thing, and it's very drawn out. Like, and it's I think let's see. I want, to, I want to say I don't think you like cynical humor, but cops is pretty cynical.
0: Deeply cynical at times. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. But so that that does, like, confuse the issue. I, you know,
0: I'm with you. I, I really think you're onto something. This idea that David Wayne has kind of, like, one note, one joke, one tone.
2: Uh, and the. Something that, like, he, when he goes on for something too long and that's the joke, you, forget, you fidget and get impatient.
0: Because I didn't even like it the first time, so why am I going to like it the tenth time?
2: Right. Well, as to me, I think the writing's really good, so that transcends – I don't know. The stuff you don't like is supposed to be that's annoying. It's because that whole <laughs> – let me ask you this. Do you consider romantic comedy un, like, just the shittiest genre, like it's impossible to make it good? Like Bridesmaids isn't even sure. a romantic com- – okay, see, I do. I think it's a terrible genre. I think it, they're they're based on formulae that don't – they're just – but I
0: don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with formula. No,
2: does isn't I have zero interest in. Okay. I mean, it's just like I'm never going to like football. I'm never going to give a shit. I'm never going to care about one team over another.
0: So you're never going to like romantic comedy, even if, say, the writing is good and the actors really work well with each other?
2: Right. Or a musical. I don't, I don't like musicals either, and there will always be like one exception. Right. But like it's just a genre I have zero fucking interest in. And that's how so you-,
0: you like seen it eviscerated and they came together. That's what you responded to.
2: Yeah, but I also like individual jokes in the movie, okay. And that's it's just like I said, it's subjective. Like to you, it's very labored.
0: So here's let me ask you then, when you tell Dingus that he should see wrong cops, do you also think that he should see they came together?
2: No, I just think okay. they came together. I think you've tainted they came together. together <laughs> for and I also think Dingus is a little similar to you in this one respect. But I think Ron Cop transcends like everything I'm talking about. Like It doesn't follow any formula.
0: Uh, I p- posted a short review of Ron Cops on, on Quarter to Three, and I loved a couple of comments, the effect in there, like, what the hell are you talking about? This movie made no sense. Like, I love that I know that there are a lot of people who oh, I want to read it, no. cops and think no, I have no idea what's going on or why it's supposed to be funny. Or
2: <laughs> a guy I know at work, he showed it to a couple other dudes, and he was really paked, and they weren't. And he said it tanked, and they couldn't bear it for like more than 10, 15 minutes, and turned it off. And then someone online had seen it in Sundance and was like mortified. Like, what? This is supposed to be a movie? What? Like, just morally outraged, just offended that it like it's not funny. It's, there's no point to it. There's no story. These characters are unlikable. It, it, it would, it, none of it makes any sense. Preposterous. But that's what you keep – I notice that comment keeps coming. Like, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like, that's the complaint with it. As opposed uh, to a lot of good movies.
0: And it's fitting that, you know, like life, wrong cops ends up in a cemetery, isn't it?
2: Yeah, but it's also a happy ending. I
0: love, I love I the scene where Arden Myron, the blonde chick, uh, tries to get Eric Whitaker to pour her some champagne, and he just ignores her and walks away. <laughs> She's so adorable in that.
2: Is uh, she your favorite wrong cop?
0: Um no that uh, Mark Burnett is that the guy that guy that guy's is yeah. amazing jeez uh, I love that dude I could just watch him I don't know where he comes from or what else what other the kind of stuff he does but I just found that guy so fascinating he's easily my favorite wrong cop but she is the most lovable adorable wrong cop I would say
2: I think the black dude's my favorite
0: really interesting yeah. he might be my least favorite Kelly wand what I felt like he was the one who was struggling most to deal with the tone of the movie.
2: No way. Look at okay. him. Okay. He's got a tumor and an eye patch. Fair sure enough. He's trying to be amused. Like, what? And he, like, he becomes unlikely friends with... Oh, dude, what are you talking about? He's great.
0: By the way, I automatically like any movie... Where, uh, is Steve Little, is that his name? From Eastbound and Down? Yeah. yeah. I automatically like any movie when he shows up. I like a movie way more. Anytime he shows up in a movie.
2: He's pretty good in it, too.
0: Yeah. Uh, he show, Even in Tammy. Remember they rent the jet ski from him and Tammy?
2: You don't remember? I do, but he doesn't do anything good in it. He just goes. I don't
0: care. I don't care. He's there. It made me like Tammy even more.
2: (sighs) Even more. More than how awesome it was prior.
0: I was kind of. I was more okay with it than maybe you were. But I, when Steve Little was there, I was like, okay, good for you, movie. You just got you earned points with me. Now you're liking Tammy. I don't
2: think that you've changed your opinion.
0: I no. I was positive. I was more positive about. Dinkins, back me up on this. I was more positive about things in Tammy than you guys. Say again, Dingus. <laughs> see, Dingus is doing the only joke he knows to make. From um, they came together.
1: I, I love that you bring up that guy and and say which character he is because I can immediately see his face, and you yeah. can't all you can't always do that. With little part, I mean Ben Falcone is the same way, but but as soon as you mention that scene, I see I see exactly who you're talking about, and he's, and he's got like three lines. I mean that's... one "Say it's, me, say again."
0: Uh, Dingus thought he was doing a reference to, "You can say that again." Tell me about it. Uh, say that again. Tell me about it. That's what he's doing. Yeah, I know from his inflection. I assume that was what he was doing. Yeah, of course.
3: Yeah,
1: because you guys oh. just went on and on about how wrong <laughs> cops isn't quite as good as uh, they came together. <laughs> Oh, my God, I can't believe
2: how long a lapse there was between the last they came together comment and that mangling of a line. From <laughs>
0: All right. My number one favorite cemetery scene, uh, and it happens to involve a lot of sexuality, even more than Leanna Quigley dancing around naked or the um, interrupted sex in Phantasm, because this mm. is actual sex, Um and it's kind of it's it's odd watching this movie since Rupert Everett has come out and I mean actually just I think everybody knows that Rupert <laughs> oh, this
1: Everett is, great. This is, is, great. is a gay
0: man and I love Rupert Everett I mean he's just so dis- distinguished in English and he's got this great imposing figure and a fantastic voice who knew and I <laughs> I mean that's he plays a leading man like he's an actor as a leading he plays man
2: a leading man in that Julia Roberts movie What Julia Roberts movie. My best friend's wedding. He's the gay best friend. You think? You think I've seen that? Why would you ever think that I? just love romantic comedies, and you
0: think? You just <laughs> fair enough. Seconds ago. Um, But no, for me, the iconic Rupert Everett role is in Cemetery Man, which is this weird '90s italian directed but english language production it's even based on a comic book about a cemetery keeper who has a very special job at the cemetery because at this particular cemetery uh the newly buried people rise from the dead so part of his job as well as maintaining the grounds he's the groundskeeper uh is shooting the dead in the the head to make oh, zombies um so every night he has to do that whenever new people are newly buried here um and one of the really cool moments, by the way, is there is a terrible bus accident where a bus uh, drives off a cliff and they have to bury like 20 kids uh, in the course of one day. And he's like, oh, he just knows he's got a long <laughs> night ahead. Of him.
3: Um,
0: but there's this amazing scene in Cemetery Man. So Kelly, you've seen this? Or you haven't?
2: No, it just sounds good. Oh,
0: man. So uh, there is a uh, an old fella has died. and He's a rich old man. And he's been buried. And his bride is some super hot, super young chick. Uh, the actress's name is Anna, F- Anna Falchi.
2: Way ahead. Um, to... Oh, her. She's Italian. How do you know who she is? Uh, I can't remember. But yeah. Wow, you know that name.
0: Okay, well, you know huh. who I'm talking about. So she is the bereaved widow of this man who's been recently buried there. And Rupert Everett, not playing a gay man, by the way, a cemetery man at all, is obviously smitten with her. And so when she shows up... Um, She's also – there's this weird sexual dimension to her grief, and they have super hot sex on her husband's grave. And they have such super hot sex, and it's totally an R-rated – not only is it an R-rated movie, it's an R-rated Italian movie, so you can imagine how this goes. Not They have such super hot sex that he forgets, oh, yeah, it's my job to dispatch the newly buried dead because oh. they're going to rise. So as they're having super hot sex on the husband's grave – this old man, newly dead, rises from the dead and attacks them and bites her. Uh. So she gets infected and shot. And then there's another scene the next night where he has to put her down. Um, mm. But it's just super hot. Like, and I don't I, – I that's, that's my only favorite reference for who Anna Falci is. But holy mm. cats, I can imagine that if you've seen her or you know her from anything else, Kelly Wand, you would remember her because she has this definite otherworldly – beauty, and I mean otherworldly in the sense that it is transcendent. I mean, she's, she's a supermodel, I imagine.
2: Yeah, she'd make even a gay man forget to kill.
0: I they, There you go, and that's that happens in this movie, in Cemetery Man. So
2: Wait, so when you say it's amazing sex, which mm-hmm. I think you went to great lengths, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh. like, when taken, Kelly Wand. What, Ooh, is it, well done, Tom. <laughs> is your only yardstick uh, of that the fact that she gets bitten by the zombie, or prior to that, is there is there a lot of evidence that no, there's a lot of nudity? If that's what okay, you're asking, yeah, I'll watch it tonight.
0: though. Serious nudity, yeah, it's a super hot scene too. Like nudity, and that here's the thing: in a lot of movies, you'll see nudity, where just the actress has to take her shirt off or whatever. This uh-huh. is like like ex- erotically staged nudity. That's what that's what I'm getting at when I say it's it's not only R-rated; it's Italian and R-rated. Uh, there's a serious uh, just the composition of the various shots. I'll just leave it at that, Kelly. Wand.
2: Well, she's like, well, he's gay, but it is Rupert Everett.
0: <laughs> I, you know what? I'm not gay, and I would probably have sex with Rupert Everett. The guy's, yeah. you know, he's pretty hot. Who can blame
2: Stop her? It. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll take her while you're busy.
0: Uh, and by the way, great, Jesus, oh, <laughs> uh, great opening scene.
2: By the way, cemetery. Give me headstone.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh.
0: uh. Thing is, What could you possibly come up with as a favorite graveyard scene to follow that?
3: Um,
1: uh, Talk about coming back from the dead.
3: uh,
1: Here's a quote from it. Uh, Don't worry, you're going to be fine, both of you. Hmm. Okay, but what's the line?
0: (laughs) Don't worry, you're going to be fine, both of you. Don't worry,
1: you're going to be just fine, both of
0: you. Oh, he's changed the line, Kelly Wand.
1: Yeah, it's just like (laughs) his (laughs) other thing.
2: It's clearly a reference to um who
0: is saying the who is to whom is the line being said
2: to whom fool <laughs> fool' I
0: was going to fool real quick. Uh, Dingus Kelly wanted to ask me to bring this up on the podcast mm-hmm. i was I was watching an episode of the a team today uh, yes because I was subjected to this because uh uh, Christian's son loves this show, and I love that about him.
2: Uh, okay. <laughs> I love it too. I'm with. It,
0: it was on TV while I, while I was just like eating breakfast, and he's watching. and I'm totally cool <laughs> with that. So I'm watching the A Team, and the opening credits come up, um, and the script for this particular episode is written by Richard Christian Matheson. Oh. And he's a good I it. Well, I couldn't believe it. I was like, "Oh my god, that's the guy! He's doing episodes of the A Team." Okay, I'm going to watch this. Pay attention to it. Well, and he's so,
2: not the dad, though.
0: And a, he's
2: not the what? He's not the dad. He's not the elder Matheson.
0: Oh, I didn't know they were related. Oh, I, I, I so later,
1: that was our mystery today, yeah. Well, no,
0: no, I later Uh-oh. looked it up and realized that it's not the I Am Legend Twilight Zone Richard Matheson. Right, now it's, it's a sun. separate guy who's got a huge long string of TV credits, and it's yeah. all crap like the A team and stuff like that. Um, so, so, yeah, there's Richard Matheson and Richard Christian Matheson, who, as far as I know, has never done good
2: horror well he wrote no no he wrote a really good short story collection called scars i remember reading oh the, the younger richard Matheson. yeah 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 oh okay. but the dad's better i mean the dad made he wrote a lot of he wrote shrinking man he wrote i'm legend he wrote tons of awesome short stories are his short stories
1: as good as joe hill's short stories <sighs> they're
2: better matheson's pretty good All right <laughs> I know of, you're just going for like the son's the, sons the joe writers. hill yeah it is kind of similar actually mm-hmm.
0: Oh, well, at any rate, so that was why I was watching. That's what came. That's what really struck me. Now, was it? What Was the plot? What was it? Uh, the plot was that James Big, Hong. Do you remember who he is, Kelly? Wong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big Trouble in Little China. Right. Absolutely not. Um, is that James? James Hong is a, a sort of an, an Asian mafia lord, and he runs a foul. And the A team runs a foul of his ninjas.
2: What? Yeah. Are they still being chased by that? fuckwad colonel, or is it this later in the second season when they're...
0: Uh, I didn't, okay, I didn't watch it that closely, I confess.
2: Wait, what? Mister? Did, did they drug Murdoch? So, yes!
0: Uh, they hypnotized yeah. him. No, they hypnotize. No, not Murdoch. Murdoch Mar- 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 has to fly the plane. Bar- <laughs> <laughs> I
2: know.
0: So yeah, B.J. Barakas gets hypnotized so that they can put him on PA. <laughs> so they can put him on the plane without S- just freaking out.
2: 90 times. right? He's like, you're not going to try to hypnotize me again no. like he did... No. Tuesday, Wednesday,
0: Thursday, and Friday. Oh, Are yeah. well, uh, you? And he falls for it. Um, uh, right. Anyway, what I've been lobbying for is to get Christian Sun to watch the eighteen movie, which is i I really liked uh, and has actual good actors in it and is directed by a good director.
2: Oh, the guy made The Gray. That's
0: right, little Joe Carnahan, exactly. Um,
2: it's, Imagine it's, the ending of The Grey, but for an hour and a half.
0: The Grey is not that kind of movie, Kelly Wong. Uh, all right, so Dingus, I'm sorry. I don't know what, what you said to remind me of The A-Team, but can you back up to where you were at that point? A-Team
2: is better, you're right.
1: <laughs> all right, I don't know either, but the, the quote is, don't worry. You're going to be just fine, both of you.
0: And I asked you, oh, that's right, and I asked you to whom was that line said, and then Kelly Wong called me a fool, and that made
2: me think of B.J. Burrini. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's what
1: jarred that loose. Yep. What a what a
2: whole a fascinatingly convoluted
1: nothing. <laughs> that run. is pretty awesome. That's a great little branch. Cool. Cool. All, All
0: right, Your toe going to be okay. So, to whom is that line said?
1: Did he uh, say it? that line is said to uh, Jocelyn Donahue. Ah.
0: Wait. Be- oh, that's a great one. Damn it. Babysitter.
1: That's fucking Yeah, great. because because of this moment, uh, because one of the things I love about it, okay, this is House of the Devil. Um, one of the things I love about this is how weird and and uh, and how, for me, it's you know when they when they're driving out to the house. It, I I just remember first seeing the movie and and as they're driving and there's this long scene of them driving and I watched a lot of this movie this week. Um, <laughs> uh, there's this long scene of them of them driving, of Jocelyn Donahue and Greta Gerwig uh, driving out to the house where she's going to be the babysitter. And it's all filmed like in this weird low angle from the backseat of the car. And there's just one moment where where they're driving along, and and it looks out the side, and you're like, wait, is that a graveyard over there? Uh, and then, of course, Greta Gerwig goes back, and she pulls in to have a cigarette. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's... That is kind of an incidental graveyard that she seems to be pulling out a cigarette, and then there's that amazing scene that she has that I've talked about before, and then of course the movie the, cl- the movie climaxes with them running out into the graveyard that is at the house, um, and the and the climax in the movie happens there. But I I just like the way that that Ty West sort of doles out this sort of like yeah you're driving past a graveyard and yeah she's driving into a graveyard but you kind of see the gravestones but i'm not going to really show you anything yet and then finally we run out into the graveyard and have that culminating scene um where she uh you know where she does what she does at the end Mm -hmm. Uh, i just i love house of the devil it's not uh you know thanks to you guys especially thanks to tom I, I'm willing to watch movies like this Horror movies much more often um, All Kelly gives me is Ron Cops
2: recommendation
1: <laughs> No, uh, Kelly actually uh, Kelly's the one who got me To see and you mentioned it earlier Martyrs which I ended up Totally loving and it's one of those weird movies That I watched twice in one week because I just couldn't believe wow is that really What happened in this movie and I watched it again and I was like I can't believe how much I like this Um uh-huh. uh, but uh, but uh, House of the Devil, I got so much, and I love the I love the way the the graveyard scenes are doled out. All <sighs> right, so what do the readers have for us? All right, so we have reader submissions. We're going to start with uh, Chris uh, Buckelman. I will do a quote from it. Uh, do you ever fantasize about ge- being killed? Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying? Oh, good one, Chris. <laughs> I wonder, like, what it would be the most horrible way to die. For me, the worst way would be for a bunch of old men to get around me and start biting and eating me alive. Mm. Uh, of course, this is from *Return of the Living Dead* and Linnea Quigley's memorable performance as Trash in this 1985 classic <laughs> zombie. <laughs> that was her name, apparently. Uh, trash. Linnea, Linnea is a flower, actually. A flower. A sweet, a, it might be the. National Flower of Sweden. Um, Anyway, that's just me editorializing. Uh, Back to uh, what Chris is talking about. In this particular scene, a bunch of punk kids decide to party at the cemetery, and amongst all the deaths surrounding them, Trash gets excited and proceeds to begin to remove her clothing. Fun for the whole family. Chris Buegelman. Chris? I
2: like the blonde one, too. The nice girl in it. She's good. Say what?
1: (laughs) Next we have uh, Arthur Jovenangeli. Um, part of me is worried that the 3x3 cop might start calling people on the differences between graveyards and cemeteries. Huh. (laughs) That's weird. That can can be difficult to parse, since the terms have become so intermingled over the years, so I'm not even going to try. Right, Arthur. Number three, Watchmen.
2: Like mass graves.
1: A very wet graveyard is featured prominently during the comedian's funeral. Many superheroes attend in the pouring rain while Simon and Garfunkel's "The Sound of Silence" plays. It seems like these when you can tell that Zack Snyder got to start directing music videos. What's from the comic. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, uh, I know Tom's gonna love this one: uh, "Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire." And... <laughs> Harry is unwillingly portkeyed. To a graveyard for some porkied? pork uh, Arthur, Arthur, <laughs> Arthur Joven Jolly says pork It's one word. pork Okay. pork Not porkeed. It's, like... <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's not like... I just don't pronounce my T's. pork a graveyard.
0: obviously a where... magic spell or something.
2: Yeah. It's an affication.
0: Putting your
1: uh,
2: you know, T's I... before the head of the horse.
1: To a graveyard where some of the series' darker events take place. This graveyard was also where Rafe Fiennes first appeared as Lord Voldemort and... (laughs) You hear that, Tom? (laughs) Voldemort. And demonstrated what a great choice he was for the part. A pity that Mike Newell turned down the chance to direct more Harry Potter movies. He had the best take on the material. Don't they put a bunch of makeup on
0: Ray Fiennes, though? Like, you, can't, you can't even see it's him. Doesn't he have, like, a snake face or something? No, they, re-
1: they actually removed his nose for him to play that part. It's weird. Man, that's dedication. Yeah. It's like McConaughey.
2: <laughs>
1: what? I don't know. So, uh, Arthur, <laughs> Joe Benangeli, his number one is the good, the bad, and the ugly. Oh, of course. In the Graveyard at Sad Hill, the three titular characters. Oh, yeah. Including- <clears throat> Arch Stanton. There's so many. See? have a classic Mexican standoff. The uh, Ineo Morricone score is particularly memorable during the graveyard events, and it's perfectly accompanied by the dizzying camera work. Is that a real graveyard? Uh, I'm seeing the the listener mentions that since I asked. uh, One of Arthur's runners-up is a movie that we did on the podcast called Seven Psychopaths. Uh, okay. Sam Rockwell narrates a fictional graveyard shootout that somehow invokes... Oh, my God. oh, yeah, that was a good part, actually. I retract my scorn. That's hilarious. <laughs> and provides no shortage of carnage. Uh, the image of Woody Harrelson saying, Pieces for queers, now you're going to die. <laughs> and taking a crossbow bolt to the neck always makes me laugh. <laughs> Hold on, Arthur. Um, <laughs> It's just Martin. Martin. <laughs> Next, we have John Thompson Mason. When this topic was announced, the following line popped into my head immediately: "They're coming to get you, Barbara."
2: Mm-hmm. I just thought Tom was going to go there. I, not Steady to another living. There's day. not enough sex. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Are you talking about life or? Yeah. <laughs> I felt like she wasn't really in the graveyard too. Like they were parked near it. No, they were going. No, to they see were their their totally in there. Yes. No, yeah, I know, but they weren't like surrounded by the headstone.
0: Right. It's like the the first zombie sort of chases her briefly through there, right. but it leaves the graveyard pretty quickly, and yeah, yeah. And, and plus, you would think, I, I mean, the opportunities for all the dead are rising. Like yeah. it, they didn't have the budget, of course, and Romero was doing a different kind of story, but
2: it's always an old man zombie, just like uh, the Annafalchi. <laughs> old man. <laughs> Shoot him first.
0: <laughs> and of so, course, knows, this zombie, it, I feel that, you know, this is where the zombie mythology was born, but I find it really odd that that zombie knows how to try to open a door and he knows how to use tools. Like he's a zombie who tries to open the car door when she locks it and he picks up a rock to try to smash the window. I think we forget that the first zombie knew how to use tools and doorknobs.
2: Maybe the first one's smart and they get dumber each generation. Fair like video enough.
0: Fair enough.
2: I love how he fumbles for his keys. Why didn't Cemetery Man shoot him before they bury him?
0: Because you have to wait until they rise. Right? Why? Yeah. Just shoot him anyway. You know what? I don't. I don't make the rules. I just watch Rupert Everett enforce them. Anna oh, Fauci. <laughs> so okay, John what?
1: Thomas Mason goes on to say, uh, um, uh, "This inspired me to watch the original Night of the Living Dead for ah. the first time in decades, as I couldn't recall what inspired this line. Why was this man antagonizing this Barbara person?" <laughs> <laughs> I had forgotten also how Johnny, Barbara's teasing brother, is seen falling and hitting his head on a tombstone during a struggle with an odd stranger, later revealed to be a zombie, and his role mostly ends there as the zombie chases Barbara to a house, ignoring Johnny altogether. We do not know his fate for certain until the end of the film when we see dead Johnny, still wearing his driving gloves, pull Barbara through a door into a ravenous horde of zombies. Yeah, he does get her. Well, and that's a huge part.
0: Again, you know, yeah. Romero basically codified a lot of you know what zombie mythology means and what it's right. about. And a lot of what it means is that the people who love you, who you were closest to, will betray you. Um, and that you know, by becoming a zombie, they lose their personality and they just want to consume your flesh. Uh, and that, by the way, Return of the Living Dead, the the big finale there. Um, and of course, I think it's a central premise in Twenty Eight Weeks Later. Yeah. Is it those that you love most betray you, and that's the fear that zombie mythology partly wants to touch on. So the fact that Johnny does come back, hugely important, I think. You know.
2: Plus, the rednecks love the black dude. Uh,
0: okay. <laughs>
1: well, uh, by love him, you mean shoot him. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's a bit I'm just cool. trying to help your theory. They love him with bullets, bullets <laughs> of love. Um, John John Thomas Mason goes on also I had all but forgotten how fantastic a movie this is and it introduces the zombie tropes still used to this day in all types of media thanks for inspiring me to watch a great old horror flick I don't do that nearly enough John C. Thomas Mason uh, next we have uh, Jaime Cabrera <laughs> uh, greetings here are my top three cemeteries in movies in no particular order number one you see in this world there's two kinds of people my friend those with loaded guns and those who dig. You dig. Uh, this is that stinger. Such
0: Dingus made it sound like a movie about uh, a hippie commune.
1: No, I was, was two types Samuel of Samuel Jackson. In the world.
0: Those who, those oh, with fun. loaded guns and those who dig. You dig. It's not you dig.
1: Yeah. No, I uh, thought it was totally even... Samuel Jackson going. Those who dig. You dig. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. Um. <laughs> Uh, and this is a good bad narrative. I suspect many other people will pick the final scene in this movie with its classic standoff. I love the music, <laughs> I love the campiness, I love everything about this scene.
0: Hold on, campiness? Kelly Wonder, are we going to accept that for a classic western like that campiness? Well, well, yeah. because he says,
2: camping. "You dig?" Yeah, that's Yeah, that's true. Dingus 70s seven, seven did it up.
0: But that's not how the movie <sighs>
2: Right.
0: Okay. Right. I'm, so done. Go ahead. I'm done with it's you, and Jaime. Go ahead, fine. What are his other two?
1: <laughs> Number two. Stop. Behind this door, a dark entity. Evil, ancient, and hungry. Oh, well, let me go in and say hi. This is Hellboy. The cemetery scene in this, great, uh, in this is great because not only does it have a crypt that acts as the doorway into the underground fortressy thing they have to enter, but they dig up a corpse and reanimate it so they can get directions. I don't remember that. I don't remember anything from Hellboy either.
0: Well, we had a friend who was in it, Dingus. How can you forget Yeah.
1: I, well, I remember him.
0: Okay. I do want to see Hellboy again because I'm really disgusted with how horrible uh, Guillermo de Toro's TV series is turning out to be. Which
2: one? The so there's a, there's
0: a crappy book called The Strain about vampires coming into Georgia. Uh, oh. And it's been developed in new TV series. I only watched the first episode, but it was just laughable. Um, wow.
1: You so did was, not watch all wait, of it. About, about, about vampires doing what?
0: They come to, so the the whole premise is a plane lands at the airport in New York City, and all the blinds are drawn, and there's nobody, there's no noise coming from inside, and they surround the plane because they're worried about terrorism, and everybody inside has peacefully died, and we can't figure out what happened. It's some strange disease. And it's basically a modern take on Bram Stoker's Dracula, where this plane was used to transport the crypt of the vampire into New York. You know, It's a crypt full of soil that the vampire sleeps in. Uh, but it takes this modern – it's a modern take on it with an epidemiologist as the lead character, as the hero. Um, and it's I called The I'll Strain, and Guillermo de Toro wrote and directed the first episode of it. Um, so I want to go back and watch stuff because I wasn't super crazy about Pacific Rim. I don't think any of us were. So I've been wanting to go back and discover
1: the things about Guillermo de Toro. I like he's so- not a good writer.
0: Well, but come on, Pan's Labyrinth is brilliant. Yeah, it's brilliant.
1: Pan's Labyrinth is brilliant. Yeah, and I did. I actually did like a lot of Pacific Rim, but America cracks foreign
0: talent. Like a I don't think I'm not convinced. So he's he's a Mexican filmmaker, and if you go back and watch stuff like Kronos, you can clearly see. Even then, that, that was probably even a, is it Spanish language, but you know, there's clearly the sense that he's a Spanish filmmaker at that point. But Guillermo del Toro, right now, I, it's just so thoroughly—he obviously has a Spanish heritage, and you see that in Pan's Labyrinth. But he's he's just such an American filmmaker now. And watching The Strange uh, definitely reinforces that. Oh, cracks! I see what you're saying. Right, I
2: see. Yeah, it definitely. Yeah, you thought I was praising The strange <laughs>
0: It it does kind of wring any distinctive uh, cultural perspective out of him, especially working on a TV show, I imagine.
2: Wait, is Dracula in the cargo of the plane? Yeah. yeah. He's, uh, uh, wait, are all those guys vampires? All the passengers?
0: No, and that's one of the things that is so ill defined in this stupid movie. Oh, uh, they end up being helping. kind of. Zombie, they're, they're, they're kind of like zombie vampire things. I mean, they get buried and then they come back to life and they go back home and people shelter them because they were their loved ones and it spreads the disease and, uh,
2: yeah. Wait, but the pilot, see a boat you can, I don't know. know, Marie Celeste only works with boats. A plane at Marie Celeste just crashes.
0: Exactly, and that's the whole, the central premise. The thing that actually got me to read this stupid book is my friend was describing the premise to me and I was like, ooh, I want to find out. I don't care if it's a crappy airport book. Meaning like a book you would read at an airport. Uh, I don't care <laughs> if it's crappy. like uh, the
2: airport. layers. <laughs>
0: right. Um, I don't care if it's like a crappy potboiler or whatever. I want to find out what made that plane land and created that central right. mystery. And the, the book doesn't resolve it at all. It's a cheat. It's a total freaking narrative
1: cheat. And it tricked mm-hmm. me
0: into reading the stupid book as well. So Oh
1: uh, well you almost hooked me just by explaining that first part of them all being peacefully done.
0: I know, isn't that cool? And you're like, well, What could yeah. kind have of done that? And now I've got the pilot peacefully. And the pilot, by the way, it lands and then taxis off of the runway right. and powers down. And so uh-huh. all of that has happened, but ooh, the one super vampire has mysteriously – and the vampires are kind of more like bugs. You can see the sort of the influence of Mimic here. Um, the uh-huh. vampire has implanted these parasites into everybody, and it somehow mysteriously did it to all these passengers and the pilot after the pilot landed and taxied and stopped and powered it down the plane.
2: Why did the pilot do that? Because he's a zombie.
0: Because it will make you read the book. That's why. No, it won't. Wait, you read the book because of that? Shut up. Yes.
2: <laughs> you don't read – I gave you the
0: croning. Oh, you're so dumb. I But I like that book. I mean, I don't care over the premise. Like, what makes me read that book is the writing. This the stupid it. strain thing. I'll get to I will definitely finish it. The strain I, thing, stra- you know, you just finish that in a couple of days. You don't care about it. And you'll be reading it, and three pages later, realize, oh, I was thinking about something else the whole time. What did I read? doesn't matter. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> you know, you can do that with the strain. If that were to happen to me uh. when I was reading – um. Ah, why can't I think of his name? Who who wrote the crony, Kelly, want help me out? Baron, Laird Baron, Laird Baron. If I'm reading Laird Baron and I realize I've been spacing out for the last three pages, by golly, I'm going to back up and read those three pages over again.
2: Someday, <laughs> dude, ah, that
0: book's too. All right, I'll get to it. I well, you no, can't you take breaks from it. it. I know, I know.
2: It's not that kind of book. I'll
0: back up. I'm fine. I'm... So at any rate, I've been wanting to go back and see Hellboy again, and the fact that Jaime brought it up. Uh...
2: Based on the strain and your dissatisfaction.
0: No, based on the There's fact that back... I know Guillermo de Toro can, can do better. Can and, go, yeah, and I, and I, I remember, curious remember that liking Hellboy it. is one of those. Yeah, I remember liking it as well. Yeah.
2: Uh, that one. Selma
0: Blair, Kelly Wand.
1: I don't know. Really? Okay. She's really. too small. I really liked her in that, but and it's so weird to watch the Golden Army and go, what happened to you? It's it's very disconcerting watching the second Hellboy because mm-hmm. of her. I I just don't. It's like what happened to she's her? She's the well, she's the. You know, I don't know. What do you want from her? Uh, <laughs> I I I just wonder she's what happened not- to the actress. It's, it's this weird oh, you character. mean in other movies? You, you watch her and you and you look like boy. Well, looks like you fell apart. What happened to you? Because uh, I really liked her in, in
2: talent-wise, you mean? What'd you say? You mean physically or talent-wise? Both. From the it, first Hellboy to the second Hellboy, Selma Blair deteriorates. It looks like it to me. I mean, it's it was just a weird experience for me.
1: And I liked her so much. I thought she was so attractive and
2: hot. But you wouldn't just hang that... I like. It seems like that'd be Del Toro, too. Like, he's... I don't know.
1: Uh, you know I mean, we'll d- d- different things game happen game. to different people over a few years' time, and it takes a long time to make a movie. All right, so Jaime's number three then. This is fun. Yeah, now that we've had some of talk. talk, um, you uh, he he go backwards or forwards?
0: What's the good and the bad and the ugly? Is number three? Well, or he, number
1: he labels one? them as one, two, three, running hey. down. You I, know I, what I just,
0: as, the, as a three by three cop, hold on. I got to pull this podcast over for a second. Go ahead, listeners, when you send in your picks, which we want you to do, I'm going to have to ask you to pay attention to your numbering. We want to make sure your number one is your number one pick and not your number three pick. All right, thank you.
1: Please,
3: Please proceed.
2: proceed. Go ahead. You're have to do that I, that I right
1: was... now, if you don't mind, right now, do that right now. <laughs> you go, <laughs> but have as many
0: as you want.
2: So then, throws. They go. Oh, I guess he doesn't want the number.
0: But number them. I mean, when you have a number one by it, we presume that means it's your favorite. And I think you know. You know what? You're right. I agree with you. Yeah. Well, hey, he just... does
1: have a number one, but I'm reading them in the order that he presented them. I should have probably gone. Nobody. Go thing up, is, I everybody guess. knows
0: by the nobody leads with their number one. Everybody should know by now. You never lead. I don't
2: know. Every listener's different. And they, like, that's why maybe I can't... All
0: right, if you as a listener want to get arrested by the 3x3 cop, he will arrest you. I'm just saying.
2: But yeah. maybe they want to do that. So you should use reverse psychology.
0: Kelly why my hand is going to my pepper spray right now. Don't make me mace
2: you. <laughs> Wait, those are two separate things.
1: Well done. Well done. Where's my desert eagle?
2: <laughs> Kelly, my hand's going to my baton. Don't let me shoot you.
0: <laughs> I love that he threw it in the ravine. <laughs> <'Cause>
2: it- <laughs> oh yeah
0: what the hell was that shit that was a terrible idea alright so what, what was Jaime's number three
1: uh, Jaime's number three is uh, here's a quote finding someone you think would be fun to kill is a bit like well it's a bit like falling in love you meet a lot of candidates and you like some of them and they're nice but they're not right and that special one comes along and your heart beats faster and you know that's the one can I guess yeah go ahead communion would that be Mr. Brooks that is indeed Mr. Brooks wow oh, what by far the darkest of my picks, the scene in front of the <laughs> grave here is chilling. I'll spare the details so as not to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it.
0: Just as someone who's really uh, just loving Kevin Costner, the older he gets and different yeah. kinds of stuff. I mean, I, I, I wasn't crazy about Mr. Brooks. And there's, there's a lot of Dan Cook in it, i got to warn you. Uh, but I like some things about Mr. Cuts.
1: Oh, good. Would you suggest somebody watch it?
0: Yeah, yeah. As 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 you know, if you're a Kevin Costner fan, absolutely,
1: yeah. Well, I, I was told as a Dane Cook detractor I should
2: watch it.
0: I, you know, the thing is you can't see why somebody would be so annoyed. Like watching Mr. Brooks, I, unless you have Dane Cook baggage, like you can see watching Mr. Brooks, even if you have Dane Cook baggage, hey, this guy isn't that bad. If he's just settling what? down and not doing his routines – He's he's an okay actor, you know. He's he's fine, Uh, Mr.
2: Brooks. What's
0: your problem with Dane Cook, uh, Kelly?
2: I've only seen three movies with him, but they were all really bad. One was one with where he's like second banana to Dennis Rodman.
0: Well, okay, go
2: ahead. Agents, I forget what it's called. It's called like the shit gets real or something. And then uh, (laughs) I saw Employee of the Month, and she's the male lead. And I saw the one with him and Jessica Alba. Called Good Luck Chuck. And I hope he he's fucking awful, dude. What's wrong with
0: you? Uh Shalane Simmons is in Good Luck Chuck, I just want to point out. Mm. Uh so I no, I I I'm fine with him in, in Mr. Brooks. And if he's you know, I think he's kinda of supposed to be annoying in that movie. So maybe that that works.
2: Uh like Matt uh Tyler Perry and Alex Cross. Uh was
0: he supposed to be annoying? I don't
2: know.
1: Yeah, I don't know either. wasn't listening to myself.
0: <laughs> All right, so I love that. What, what did Jaime say about that thing? Like, oh, yeah.
1: I'm going to cut you off. No, no, that's th- it. He just said, uh, I'll spare the details so it's not to spoil it. <laughs> He's got two runners-up, <laughs> then and yeah. Helsing, Coffin Maker ends up in an open grave, and then Beetlejuice, this is a great one, uh, runners-up. Uh, they meet him in a little miniature mock-up of a graveyard, which is actually really great. I didn't even think of that. That's a great one. You, huh? you don't see many graveyards in, in Tim Burton movies. Uh, that's a good point, <laughs> but it's it's so funny how like they they reach up through the like the fake grass and everything. I mean that's a good one. So uh, he says, look forward to hearing everyone's picks. Love the show, Jaime El Guapo Cabrera. Thank you, Jaime. I like that. I like that. Not... I like that. the just pick. Uh, next we have Dan Winningham. Hello, friends. D. Wynn from the QT3 forums here. While there are plenty of good graveyard scenes from horror, I wanted to give you one from a comedy that cracks me up every time. Here's a quote. But why male models? Um, Sounds like something from Zoolander. Or Jennifer's body. This is, of course, from Zoolander. And it is the scene where Ben Stiller and Christine Taylor's characters meet with David Duchovny in a cemetery. So that Duchovny's character, a former model can reveal why male fashion models are programmed as assassins. Stiller asked the company why they would use male models, and after a minute-long explanation full of flashbacks and such, there's a long pause at which point Stiller asks again, why male models? Supposedly, this was an ad-lib when Stiller forgot his line, but regardless of the truth of that, it gets me each time. Keep up the good work, friends. D-win.
0: You know, if Dan, if we can bring up a MacGruber reference... It's fair game for Dan to bring in Zoolander. So. No, it's not. Really? Okay. I was just trying to be nice, Kelly Wand. You should try that sometime.
2: He too he they're in a graveyard when he says you too or whatever. He's living the Yugulagie. There's a lot of graveyards in Zoolander. It's like a Tim Burton movie.
0: Look at Kelly Wand selling Zoolander.
2: Tom's favorite. <laughs> it's uh MacGruber wins. Graveyard scenes, I think.
1: Uh, P.S. from DeWin Uh, It was brought to my attention a few weeks ago that it was believed that Kelly had somehow purchased statements of admiration during his 3x3 (laughs) I must state for the the record that I am a non-paid spokesman Also I like Dingus a lot as well and only kid him about nice because well, kid because we love I never said nice in a movie I want to make that clear,
0: that's me talking so there's the Enterprise. It's coming up from some clouds because you think it's crashed and you think, nice. oh, they're all dead. But no, it comes up out of the clouds and Dingus, super loud in the theater, goes, "Nice."
1: Did not happen. It's amazing.
0: Either. And I was sitting there so annoyed at that movie already, and I couldn't believe Dingus was liking it. I was doubly annoyed at the movie. I'm like he's going
1: nice at this, <laughs> at that, he's going hard with him. Well, because they <laughs> they're tricking my friend.
2: <laughs> yeah. It crashed on the Genesis project, so that's why it came out of the. Cloud. No, that was
1: in, they. They shot that into the sun. Shot it. You guys
2: don't remember Star <Sing> Trek
1: Stur- <Sing> stuff very well,
3: apparently.
1: All right, next we have one of my favorite names, Ladnar Savad. Awesome. Uh, so many graveyards, so little time. I hope nobody tried to argue about the difference between cemeteries, graveyards, and things like mausoleums.
0: <laughs> Look, just because I'm a three-by-three cop uh, uh, doesn't mean that I'm bogged down by bureaucracy and procedural detail.
2: Okay? The listeners have your number is what I thought. <laughs> That's
1: what I'm right. <laughs> I went with three essential and informative scenes in graveyards for me, and yes, they are all horror. I will other tackle the non-horror-related ones to keep it simple. First up, a quote from what could be my number one, but isn't. Do you ever wonder about the different ways of dying? You know, violently, and wonder like what would be the most horrible way to die? I try not to think about dying too much. This scene is 1985's Return of the Living Dead. Blew my zombie addled brain wide open with a naked punk rock. He spells it like Tom says it <laughs> naked punk rock ballerina bo- boobs, and then proceeded to kick my ass straight into the parte It's party time. And, you know, those last words are all in caps, but I'm not going to yell. Kelly,
0: uh, what movie is winning this, by the way, so far?
1: Um, wrong we, cops.
0: Nope. Return, well, okay, but uh, if we were to count popularity, it would be Return of the Living Dead, directed by Dan O'Bannon.
2: Uh, if we would count, I think what's really winning it is people telling you Cemetery versus Graveyards, dumb. I <laughs> still haven't figured that out myself, so I can't That'd cop be... it, I'm afraid. But everyone, everyone mentions you in connection with it because he's the cop. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, so uh, Ladner continues. Let's see if you all know this one. Uh All things are true. Gods an astronaut. Oz is over the rainbow, and Midian is where the monsters live. A massive graveyard in 1990s Nightbreed is j- just the top level of a huge underground silly silly city full of fantastical monsters and strange creatures, like a twisted Muppet film if the Muppet monsters were into sadomasochism and self mutilation. Some
2: of more they were
1: kind of a, uh... What I not know this movie, Kelly Wong. Warn- oh, I- go ahead. What does he say? Honeydew and Beaker had a very <laughs> <essay>. <laughs> Uh Also stars David Cronenberg as a slasher slash serial killer that reminds me a bit now of the scarecrow from Batman Begins. So this is Nightbreed. And it's a Cronenberg movie, right, Kelly Wong? Warn- it's
2: Jason Patrick. Uh, no, he's in it, but he doesn't direct it. He plays a guy is- with buttons on his face.
0: Oh, it's some Clive Barker thing. Okay. Yeah, he
2: directed it. Clive okay. Barker was his yeah. directorial debut. But isn't Jason Patrick the main guy, or am I really big? Craig Schiffer.
1: Nightbreed uh, yeah. was directed by Clive Barker. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm. yep. Clive yep.
0: Barker's done a few movies, even recently.
1: Really? He did a Bradley
0: Cooper. He did a movie where Bradley Cooper is a, a photographer who goes on a subway and hunts down what's that big footballer guy they who play- plays the Juggernaut.
2: Midnight Meat Train.
0: Oh, you, know what, uh, you know what, he didn't direct that. Someone else, a Japanese director, did that. Uh, Bradley, he, wrote, he wrote that. It's based on a story he wrote. Um,
2: Bradley Cooper's the guy on that?
0: Yeah. Uh, Dingus, who's the guy who plays Juggernaut? Vinnie Jones? Is that? Right.
2: Yeah, yeah, you're right.
0: Yeah, so Vinnie Jones is a murderer who has a big old mallet, and he murders people on the subway. And as Kelly Wan mentioned, it's called Midnight Meat Train. I was thinking Clive Barker directed that, but I don't think it was him.
2: Right, I think right. it was the guy
0: who did No One Lives, which you should both see, but you've been talking really? got be that for a while.
2: What well, has the same title is they all die at the end and get get Tom and. <laughs>
0: you would think it's kind of a spoiler, isn't it?
2: Icebreakers.
0: Breakers. Uh, if you like Luke Evans, and I'm pretty sure you guys do, you need to see a movie called No One Lives. Uh, is I think he I've the one said this in the before.
2: Fast and the Furious, Tokyo Drift.
0: Uh, yes, he's the villain in that. Absolutely. There's a villain. Luke Evans, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Isn't he the villain? Yeah, he's the, you know, there's the good, oh, he's not in Tokyo Drift. He's in Fast and Furious 5, isn't he? I hate you. At any rate, sorry about that. So, yeah, so Clive Barker. Look what's happened Nightbreed, to the police. But he's done other things. Like, I, Clive Barker's done, he's directed other movies, hasn't he, Kelly Wand? And the Hellraiser movies, of course. Those are did his, Did direct
2: right? them? Did he? Maybe, I thought did he, he maybe do did one, one of
0: the first ones. Yeah, I don't know, but.
2: The third one's got Paula Marshall. So,
0: is Nightbreed, it sounds weird.
2: Well, Should I see it? No, the book's good. It's based on a book called Cabal that I remember kind of liking that oh, he wrote. Okay, it's sort of I, a novella.
0: I actually interviewed
2: Clive Barker once. You know? Oh, really? How was he? He see, I've met him a couple times. he was pretty cool.
0: He seemed really cool. He's like, I, it was this, this weird thing. Like, I didn't, I didn't know his books. He was, uh, he'd thrown his name into a game called Undying. Yeah, I love that game. Uh, yeah, I mean it had some cool stuff, and so they they had him at a press event, and he obviously didn't do any work on the game. I mean they they used his name. And-
2: he wrote stuff for him, and then they they kind of like used their own stuff and kind of like right. blew him off. Right. They But they
0: brought him out for these uh, these press events, um, and I, I didn't you know I didn't know who he was. I just knew he was a horror writer, and I'd seen the Hellraiser movies and stuff. But uh, being in the same room with him, he, yeah, he was this really cool, charismatic mm-hmm. guy. He's the kind of guy you're in a room with, and you're like. Man, I want that guy to like me.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. yeah. And I, I was really into his fiction before I met him, so I was really, I went into it Undying with a lot of pro baggage because Weave World's good. The books of Blood, brah. You read those,
0: oh, Tom? Still, I'm still working it's on lucid. my Laird Baron, Kellywand,
2: But it's like you like, like horror movies, but the books never did it for you.
0: Yeah, I'm a movie guy, you know.
2: I can't like be bothered. Parker. Longhand.
1: Uh, I also you can that. have a horror movie going on in the background while you're doing something else. You can't very well have a book going on in the background. It's movie. a book on tape.
2: I guess it's not the same, you're right. Nope. But still, it's weird that Tom doesn't.
0: Well, Ladner was selling me on Nightbreed. He's making me want to see it.
2: So. Just read the early... Damnation Damn. Game. Oh, Night- yeah. That one's good. Damnation
1: Game. Yeah, that was his first novel. It's really fucking good. All right. I'll talk about that on the quarter to book podcast. <laughs> So, lead nurse number one. At last, but not least, in fact, my my number one. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Um, for those who don't know, shame shame. This is the character Johnny taunting his sister, who to into a zombie in the 1969 classic *Night of the Living Dead*. Uh, watching this film as a child, these first scenes always scared the crap out of me. The 1990 remake totally blows the pacing and set up. Of the original scene, something about the way the original was shot and paced creates uh, an intense sense of dread in me. And so uh, here's his first honorable mention. This is the only one I'll mention of of, uh, of, uh, of Ladnar's honorable mentions, Della Marte Della More. Yep, that is its
0: Italian name, I think. Yep. Right,
2: exactly. And a falce
0: Yep, Cemetery Man. So the character's name is, I think the character's name is actually Della More Della Morte, which yeah. means "of love of death. So, uh, but the, I think in English you more commonly find the movie as Cemetery Man.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I remember seeing, i you know, Tom's like, yeah, you, you might want to watch this. He was very, very um, reluctant to recommend it to me, but he still did. It was actually quite enduring the way Tom said, like, yeah, you might. Get this. Um, and I watched it and I was like, oh, I totally get this. I like this. And, you know, I'm not obviously not a horror aficionado, mm-hmm. but it's got just such a great sense of humor and a great sense of itself. It's, I, I mean, how can you not like that movie? Yeah, yeah, definitely. See, Kelly. So, uh, yeah, see, Kelly. So, <laughs> uh, uh, Ladnar says, sorry, so long until the Charman takes us, Ladnar, aka Randroid. Kelly, uh, when did you
2: meet Clive Parker? I uh, was at a book signing.
0: You actually stood in line to get Clive Barker to sign one of your books? Well, I was really young, and it seemed like... It's oh, adorable. A young Kelly Wand in line to get his book signed by Clive Barker. That's a girl. Uh, I'm loving this. Wait, what?
1: I want a flashback. As a yeah.
0: date?
2: Yeah, as a girl with me. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. But, um... It was real. I don't like those events, though. I think that they're too spoilery, and lines always suck, and having a book sign is kind of dumb.
0: You but know. wait, do you remember? Like, did you do you remember if you said anything to her, or if he said anything to you? Yeah, I
2: forget what it was. He made a joke about her boobs.
0: <laughs> but he's gay, you know.
2: I know. Well, it wasn't a.
0: He was. I guess f- gay men can make <laughs> jokes about breasts. Fair enough. It's
2: even. Well, it's safer even.
0: That's true. Gay men of all people, completely right?
2: non-threatening,
0: right?
2: <laughs> you know, you can't get jealous. So. No, they are. Um, no, he was super nice. And then I think I, I forget. I think I feel like I met him again, like in a at a pool party.
0: Whoa. How can you not... That's the better story.
2: Yeah, but no I can't I don't remember it. I woke up the dead deer under me. <laughs> and said again. And no. Uh, none of that happened. Except the pool. It was just like a cocktail thing. Okay. I was on the there,
0: Man, you you live a way more exciting life than me.
2: There were a lot of writers whose names I didn't know. And he was the only one I knew. So I talked to him a little bit, drunkenly. No, what? I think you were there, too. You got me in. You what? Got, no. <laughs> you said here, I'll make a thing with my hands and you climb over the wall and let me in, and I think I forgot to let you
0: in. <laughs> I would love to believe you, but I don't. Mm-hmm.
2: I might be thinking of someone else. <laughs> All right,
1: who else do we have to miss? Alright, uh, we have we have Chris Markredson. Uh but Kelly says it better. How do you say his name? Uh, Mark Markredson? Markardson. Yeah. I said uh, he, he, just, he just loves the way you say his name. So this is Chris Markinson. Uh, hey, guys, here are my picks for the 3x3. Three three. Here's a quote from the cemetery scene of my number three pick. That's my mother you're pissing on. This is from Dead Alive. Where <sighs> the hoodlums attack Timothy Balm in the graveyard. That's, that's, um, that's what I'm thinking of.
3: Oh.
1: That, um, I'm dumb. You were confusing Dead Alive in return? Uh, was Fair getting, enough.
2: I, no, that makes perfect sense. Sorry. I apologize.
1: His name is Timothy Balm. Damn. In the okay. graveyard, and one of them starts to pee on his mother's grave. The way in which the peeing hoodlum is handled by the dead mother is pretty funny.
2: Handled. That's the part where the priest does the kung fu.
1: Right. Uh,
0: what's wrong with the name Timothy Balm? Balm. Would you prefer Ernest
1: Unquint? <laughs> yes, I would. Okay. But em- embalming, <laughs> Balm. Oh, Okay uh, uh see, yeah dingus. i like that dingus. dingus is
0: smarter than both of us all three of us uh, are together. No, no, smarter know. than you me and chris put together
2: even dingus. when he gets lines completely wrong yeah, they <laughs> out
0: there. somehow there's dingus quoting they came together
1: say, say again you didn't even <laughs> say it right you dig uh my number two pick is the start of the graveyard scene in Watchmen. Watchmen makes some good use of music, and I think that it really works for the scene with the sounds of silence playing as the cars drive up to the cemetery. The scene even as a crazy sign-carrying guy walking just outside of the cemetery. Um, my number one pick is Alita Volley walking down the road that separates the two parts of the graveyard and walking right past Joseph... Ka- oh, all right. And we can right past Joseph Cotton uh, as oh. he waits to try to talk to her, he doesn't give it the movie. Chris, come uh, on! Ah, uh, well, it's, you know, there's only
2: two Joseph Cotton movies on people's lists. So. Yeah, that's true. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> keep up the good work. One sorry. or the other. So it's it's Third Man. Yeah, I, I'm almost certain it's Third Man, isn't it? Yeah, it's the end of a cigarette. Yeah. Ah, yeah, comes that's comes exactly. up every about once a year on the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Uh, next we have uh, Chris Hornbostel. Hello, 3x3. Such an amazing topic, so many great scenes leap to mind. I decided, though, since I'm on a self-imposed horror movie moratorium for the next month or so, to restrict myself to graveyard scenes only from non-horror films. Number three, the opening scene from David Lean's 1946 version of Great Expectations. Uh, the, the original Dickens, is this, um, Kelly, is this a minor Dickens or a major Dickens? Shut up, Tom. I already <laughs> hear you making noises. The original Dickens a novel major Dickens. has nothing to do with the supernatural, but even so is filled with oh, lurid Gothic elements like Miss Havisham and her ruined wedding and house. The first scene has young Pip visiting his parents' grave in the moors, and it's so spookily shot that it makes me wish that Lean had made a ghost story movie at some point in his impressive career.
2: It's crazy old man grabs him, huh? I I read the book. I didn't
1: see the... (laughs) I've never, you know, as much as I love David Lean, I've never seen that movie. Um, uh, Chris Hornbostel's number two uh, Quote Died tragically rescuing his family From the wreckage of a destroyed sinking <laughs> battleship Awesome <laughs> um, That's Royal Tenen uh, Royal's tombstone From the epilogue of Royal Tenenbaums I just love how this graveyard scene Caps the movie With the priest limping around on a broken leg And Ari and Uzi Firing their BB guns at the air In a salute And number one for Chris. Uh, when I saw Schindler's List in the theater, I held it together pretty well throughout the movie, like the stoic Midwesterner that I am. Then we get to the scene where Schindler Jews are all laying stones on Oscar Schindler's grave, lined up through the graveyard, an impossible, an impossibly deep line to do so. It was at this point that the dam burst for me. I've gotten to be a much easier cry at movies in my older years. But I think this is the only time a movie made me sob. I do want to d- deduct a few points for giving Spielberg the idea for the framing device in <laughs> saving Private Ryan. <laughs> Alright, uh, fair enough, Chris. Uh, thanks, Jens. Love the podcast. Chris H. Uh, I kind of did think of, uh, this is me talking now, I kind of did think of Schindler's List, um, and I, I kind of, I'm kind of glad he brought that. Uh, and finally, we have Dave Perkins, number three. In The Lion King. It's, it's not a movie, <laughs> it's a cartoon. Simba and Nala meet the hyenas in the elephant graveyard.
2: Oh, Did oh you order God.
1: dinner to go? Because there it goes.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, there's an elephant graveyard in Tarzan and his mates, too. Who would choose an elephant graveyard?
1: It's like choosing an airport. What? Nah. No. <laughs> because tusks are weird. There, I said it. (laughs) Okay, yeah, you're bold. Uh, Dave's number two. (laughs) In the Nightmare Before Christmas, Jack wanders a graveyard while he sings a sad song about how bored he is. Sally hides behind the gravestones and listens in. I am particularly drawn to that tendril in the graveyard that extends as Jack walks down it, framed by the full moon. That is a lovely image, Dave. Well done. How's the devil kind of reshot that scene? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And Dave Perkins, number one. In Crouching Tiger, there's a sweet two-on-one fight in a graveyard. And the one is a woman who looks kind of dumpy and middle-aged, but kicks ass. And we think that's fantastic. Uh, and this is <laughs> Michelle and, this is Michelle and Dave. Michelle gets to go first in the, in the end. So, Michelle and Dave love Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon Miss. So that's it. And there we go. Do you guys have any runners-up?
0: Uh, there's kind of a famous, isn't a famous part of Easy Rider when they drop acid in that famous New Orleans cemetery where, oh, uh, yeah. you know, they're all mausoleums. They can't be sunk in the ground because, you know, it floods there. But isn't that a famous?
2: Yeah, thing they have in black and what's her face.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah, they've got chicks with them. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. It's a date. It's a double date at the graveyard.
0: Um, I always, I never, I never liked this because I don't understand it. It was always a big huh kind of scene, and I think it was a cheap gimmick. But it's certainly – I think a lot of us remember the thing at the end of Carrie when she's at her mother's
2: grave. Oh, I kind of like it because it scared me you know, the first time. But it's time. cheap. I mean anything will scare yeah, I mean, it, it has nothing to do with telekinesis thing. either. Right. It
0: doesn't exist. I mean it, it's uh, it's just a fake out.
2: But it's it a, it is, it's a famously
0: one. scary scene, so yeah.
2: I think it, I would – I forgive it as it's it's really well executed. Well – And also Dressed to Kill as a good one too. It's <laughs> also <laughs> really extraneous. <laughs> It's similar, but not, I don't know. Right. Ah, come on, Curie's hands. could happen.
1: Well, <laughs> my favorite one is, is when they all meet at Nick Fury's grave at the end of Captain oh, America Winter Soldier. Ah, yes. Everyone remembers where they were. <laughs> that same <sandwich> was shot.
2: <laughs> uh... I've, I had Drag Me to Hell a little bit.
0: Oh, no, I do like that scene. I like that scene.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's also misdirection, because you think it's the epic end of the movie, but it won't
0: right, be right,
2: something right. else.
0: Oh, who was that actress?
2: Lorna Raver? Oh, oh no. Oh, Slowman.
0: <laughs> you thought I was asking about the old lady?
2: I don't know. <laughs> 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 just assume usually your proclivities,
0: yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, no, like, I, I just love watching the- her... her- sort of thrashing around i mean there's you know she's a, she's a beautiful girl that's what's
2: um, weird about it, she's, weird about she's it? Like, well she's really pretty but she's like getting bruce campbell punished
0: for right it. exactly exactly she's right. getting
2: stuff puked on her and that, a fucking headstone falls on her in that scene with a clang like on her head
0: yeah, and just like rolling around but, in the but, mud and stuff, and the. the I is, stuff. That, that's that, like that's Bruce
2: Campbell's superpower, but I didn't know it was like a Sam Raimi. Every care every main character of Sam Raimi is is a destructible skull that can still get pulled into railroad tracks.
1: Oh, but one, also, of the, one of the great ahead. moments in Life After Beth is when uh, there's a car driving through a cemetery, and the, it's just r- driving over and through gravestones, hey. and it's so obvious that they're made of styrofoam, <laughs> just, like, snapping in half. And... Ah, that's okay. Cheap's funny to me, I always kind of like. Cheap's
2: <laughs> funny to me, I love that. Yeah, it is. Cheap's always funnier. Um, but also, Army of Darkness, the graveyard scene, where he does, like, the thing with the three books – it's not really good but I remember it as I remember it was a very iconic moment because I realized like this will never like this is what evil dead will be for the rest of my life if this like it's the shark jump moment right this is what you get from now on right so you're gonna be cartoon chin like Kelly
0: speaking of shark jump moments what is next week's three by three
2: this week's three by three topic for things to write about. And think about are um, I thought we'd done this one, but I look back and we hadn't. Although we did one that was a little similar, but and just keep in mind uh, different topics for different reasons. And so this one's kind of more like for the listeners than you, Tom, since I know you won't like this one. Uh Ones that are about He's post. going to need your license and registration. Yeah, all right. So pull me over. I'm trying to talk my way out of the ticket here. And if you don't like it, I
1: got backups, but they
2: get no. You're
0: like in you. charge. You're the one. You're. I'm. I'm just enforcing the rules. You, Kelly, you're the you, law you don't maker. get to call
1: for backup. That's Tom's job. You do not get to call for backup. That's right.
0: Kelly, one in this particular uh, tripartite system on this podcast, I'm the executive branch. You're the legislative branch. Okay. Which one's that? I'm the bureaucrats. You're the ones who make the laws. I enforce them. Is that even what that means? Uh, legislative and executive well, branch? Well,
2: legislative, isn't, doesn't the word law come from the word ledge? Very good, Kelly Wand. Shut up, Wand.
1: <laughs> I'm just glad that I'm here for life.
0: <laughs> I guess that's right. You're judicial. That's right. You're yeah, appointed, not elected. I so know. Kelly Wand, then as the executive branch, I now charge you to announce next week's 3 by 3
2: uh, movies, scenes, or shots that gave you nightmares, and you have to describe the nightmare. <laughs> I can't think of any offhand for myself, so <laughs> maybe we should do another one. Um,
1: that sounds too hard, huh?
0: thing is, as a judicial branch, what do you feel about this 3x3? I just kick,
1: wanna... I'm, I'm kicking this back to the 9th Circuit. There's no way.
0: Wait a minute. So, Kelly, you want, this 3x3 is about nightmares that we've had and
2: about, not the movies. <laughs> oh, yeah, the movies. Both. You have to describe the movie and the nightmare and, like, the differences. I don't know. It sounds lame. You know what? Fuck that. All right.
0: <laughs> Wait a minute. We... So is this one? Anyway, are, are you...
2: here's the a new... The nightmares involve sex. That's what I want to ask. Since I know it's kind of iffy... If you guys both shit can it, I'll do another one. Nope, you get you're in charge. No, we, don't, we don't have the right to shit can it. You're- right. oh, I'm giving you the right. I'm, I'm forfeiting my right to not be shit canned unilaterally. Like it,
0: right, it's in the constitution of the quarter three movie podcast that when it's your turn to announce the three by
2: three, you're you the f- only one who can choose it. I'm, yeah, I'm on the shoulder. Okay. okay, but Dingus is in the cop car with you. We're yeah, but I'm on lights. a ride-along. I,
0: yeah. like, I
2: think <laughs> I'm a stenographer. Knock, knock. Come in. <laughs> oh, hell no. Thank you, Dingus. No, no, no. <laughs> Wait, he's the Morgan?
0: All right, so you oh, want us to tell him? Well, we can do for a three-by-three three movies that scared us and that we had nightmares from, but I'm, I'm not the kind of guy who remembers i have probably remembered like three dreams in my life i mean remembered long term
2: and they weren't movie related but you're a horror fanatic so yeah but i don't i wish that
0: it, it would be so awesome if i would dream a new horror movie every night that would be great but i don't i don't do you remember stuff like
2: that who remembers horror stuff? movies
1: are what you watch so that you don't have yeah all right you know what fuck it can we do something else know, you've, you've introduced it we can play well, i don't it. think it i think it's dumb now
2: well if we didn't do that what would we do yeah. okay ready I tell you, what, you can pick which one of these you want to do.
0: <laughs> this isn't a dim sum, tell <laughs> you.
2: Um, three best uses of cheese. Done I'm now. pretty
1: sure we've done that, yeah. Oh,
2: okay. Distinctly remember. We,
1: <laughs> seriously, <laughs> how can <like, laughs> you do something that specific? Mushrooms. <laughs> your your favorite bread.
2: <laughs> okay. Three best movies set in a single day. So it has to be like a one day movie.
1: Uh-huh. Okay. I know that's that's a, that's a genre that Kelly likes. I remember right. – I mean, I've heard him say many times that he loves movies that are set in the same
2: All right,
0: thing. there you go. Three best movies set in a single day. That, gave, so... that
2: gave you nightmares, but it has to be – yeah, can... to... Do you want me to merge them? No. <laughs> do you
0: want to uh, the other one?
2: Do you want to do the first one? Have you
0: changed? You, no, we, we, so we got – if you have picks for three best movies that take place in a single day. <laughs> or the nightmare one. Does the no. day – meaning – the uh, day meaning nighttime, or like – you mean in a 24-hour period or in a day?
2: I'm not the police. I'm not the police. Well, but
0: we have to know what your topic is. The legislative branch has to make what the law is. They have to make that clear.
2: Uh, so in a Support single 24-hour
0: period. A single 24-hour period. Okay. This movie must take place in a single 24-hour period. Send your picks for those to 3x3 at quarterto3.com. That's the number three, the letter X, the number three. Do the little at sign. Which in case you're wondering that's shift two. Uh and then you spell out quarter to three dot com. Uh we'd love to read your picks on the air. Uh next week we are going to see we're going to continue to not see Expendables 3.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: For Number a second four. week in a row. Yeah. Number four movie in America. Uh we're instead going to see a limited release uh, directed by a fellow named Anton Corbin, who did a movie with George Clooney called The American. Uh his latest movie is called A Most Wanted Man. And I think right now the the most relevant press about it is that it's one of Philip Seymour Hoffman's last movies. Uh, it's based on a John Le Carre novel, so it's got that going for it. So see that mm. and join us for the podcast on it next week. And we will talk about our favorite movies that take place within a 24-hour period. So I am Tom Chick for this podcast. I have been joined by uh, Christian Mukowski.
1: It's Christian Muraski,
0: And uh, we had Kelly Wand.
2: Star Trek into niceness. Thing is, remember when the Spice Girls did Pepsi commercials, those fucking sellouts?
1: Uh, Kelly, stop triangulating. <laughs>
2: Someone says that.
1: <laughs>